be sure to check out Loot Crate, a monthly subscription box service for epic geek and gamer items and pop culture gear. Each month, there's a different theme inspired by major movie and video game releases, as well as the top pop culture franchises. Visit LootCrate.com slash RebelForce and use the promo code RebelForce for $3 off any core crate subscription. Rebel Force Radio is brought to you in part by Little Debbie Snacks, bakers of all galactic goodness, like mini donuts, star crunch, cosmic cupcakes, cosmic brownies, nutty bars, and much more. Little Debbie, official snack of Rebel Force Radio and fans around the galaxy. DorksideToys.com. For the latest Star Wars action figures, Marvel, G.I. Joe, and more, visit DorksideToys.com. From Tops comes the all-new digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. Collect and trade everything from legendary 1977 Star Wars cards to new cards featuring exclusive content from Star Wars Episode 7: The Force Awakens. All from the comfort of your mobile device. Star Wars Card Trader. These are the cards you're looking for. A small rebel force has penetrated the shield and landed on Endor. This is where the fun begins. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is Rebel Force Radio. Your source for the Force. Star Wars news and commentary. With Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack. I've seen Star Wars 500 times. Star Wars number one. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Now it's time for Rebel Force Radio. We would be honored if you would join us. Uh, this might be opening up a can of worms. I don't know if I should even bring it up because we have such a jam-packed show for this week, February. What, what is this, the 12th? Yeah, February 12th, 2016. Right here, Rebel Force Radio. But my wife springs this on me tonight. She says, you know, you mentioned something the other day, a theory about Episode 7, and, and my coworkers and I We've been talking about it all week. We've had such a good time that we need another topic because we've exhausted this one. What do they got? Well, I said to listen to the show. (laughs) Well, what are you, at your own private show here? Who do you think you are, my wife? Uh, But no, it was a theory that was posted. And, um, you know, I. There's, it's so much fun, actually. We're, we're at a, you know, this, this great, great time as Star Wars fans where we can have theories again, right? We can make these guesses and all that stuff. Uh, whereas in the past, fairly recent past, we didn't because every time you'd have an idea, someone would say, well, that was written in a book eight years ago. Right. That's in a miniseries, a comic book, you know, whatever. Yes. Um, it was a blessing and a curse. It was. We had tons of Star Wars, but it took some of the mystery out of it. We've got some more mystery back into Star Wars. By the way, something that is not a mystery, my good friend and yours from Chicago, Jimmy Mack. Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars fans. Back again. The Force Awakens still in theaters. I got to say that uh, a lot of people are going to notice that uh, I think this is the weekend where we're going to start seeing The Force Awakens begin to dissipate. Begin to leave the local theaters. Oh, I, I don't know about that. I don't know. Oh, I, don't I, know. I do. I do. I, I'm, I know that Deadpool opens this weekend. And it's already taken over the majority of the IMAX screens that The Force Awakens was being uh, projected on. And uh, I, I've definitely noticed a shift more to the second run theaters. I'm still uh, in search of those 
gimmick theaters. I have yet to see The Force Awakens in 4D. I have till the end of February to actually see it here in the Chicago area. There's a. Do you theater. not want to know what the theory is? Oh, oh um, my God. I, I'm just like kind you of just running ran right over. I'm just like was... running wild, you know, welcoming everyone to. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm all of a sudden jumping into this like I... state of the Star Wars union. Uh, what's yeah. the matter with me? Uh, well, Jason, you did taps on Star Wars The Force Awakens. It's only been in theaters. For about, you know, almost, what, 60 days? About two months. Not even. About two months. And I yeah. think I think we'll, we'll still have another good month of uh, of seeing it. But I think we're at that, that moment. We're at that crossroads where if you want to continue to see The Force Awakens in theaters, you're, you're actually going to have to search it out a little bit more than you used to have to. But, Jason, you set the table here. You started talking about I... uh, some Star Wars theories being thrown around, some debates happening at the workplace for uh, uh, the lovely Deborah Swank. And uh, I, I'm, I'm curious to know what was she getting involved in. Well, she you was know, my wife's her... not one to sit around and chat Star Wars, right? <laughs> oh, boy, so, I do mean, I know that. I mean, but but she uh, she does. She loves the film. She loved uh, Force Awakens. And she does work with some, uh, you know, some Star Wars fans. Yep. And so I just threw this out. I, I said, you know... I, there's this there's this interesting theory online about whether or not Han shot first again. Have you heard about this? I this have. this is a theory that says that it was Han in Episode Seven, The Force Awakens, who activated the lightsaber in his conflict reunion with Ben Kylo yeah. Ren. Right, right, right. Did Han actually take his own life? Did, right. when, when when Kylo says, "Will you help me?" Kylo is saying to Han, "He doesn't have the strength to turn the saber on and plunge it into his own father's chest." However, if his father turns the saber, if his dad flips the switch, then he will be able to do it. So that's how we're breaking this all down. Yeah, you don't you don't see I don't buy the it. hands. You don't see uh, who actually ignites it. But if you follow the dialogue, I know what I have to do, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it. Will you help me? Yes, anything. Kylo pulls out the lightsaber, holds it in both hands. Han reaches down to grasp the center of it. We just see their faces, but notice they aren't struggling. Lightsaber activates and goes through Han. Kylo looks startled for a moment. And says, thank you. Han touches his son's face and falls into the abyss. I think this has potential. I think that this could be a big shocker, a big surprise, and why we might even see Harrison Ford back in Episode 8, which we have been told that the whole cast is coming back from Episode 7 into Episode 8. I think it lines up with the dialogue. I think that uh, Han realized that he had to save his son from Snoke, and the only way to save his son from Snoke at this point was for Snoke to believe that Kylo Ren is strong enough to carry on his mission, and uh, that Han made the ultimate sacrifice. And I think this is the the payoff, the big why that I've been looking for. Now, the reason I bring this up is not to have a debate about it right now, right here. Because we know the emails are going to be coming in. I want to give credit. By the way, this was uh, moviepilot.com that had this. And uh, the writer was uh, Jancy Richardson. 
Um, so given the credit there, I think it's a great theory. It's one of the, the I'm so I got to tell you, I'm bored to tears with the who is Snoke stuff. Um, I mean, there, there's not to say there aren't some good theories out there, but it's a little overdone. And in, in who is Ray's father or whatever? Um, this one came out like out of the blue. I hadn't even known that this was being debated. And I, I had never even dreamed that this was something that people were talking about. I certainly didn't uh, conceive of it. And I read it and I go, oh, my gosh, I, I think there's a lot to it. But it so captivated my wife that she and her friends have been talking about it, or her coworkers, all week long. They feel like they've exhausted this gem, and they're like, um, you know, dance monkey, give me a, give me another topic. Yeah, well, I got one for him. Okay. Uh, this this is just uh, something that's kind of popped up uh, virally on Reddit. But uh, hey, remember the. Uh the old days when people used to watch The Wizard of Oz and then they would sync up Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon and listen to the lyrics of that album, that classic album, mm-hmm. and they would watch The Wizard of Oz and they would draw connections between what was happening lyrically and musically, too, by the way, with Dark Side, uh, how it kind of synced up with the imagery they were seeing in the... At the beginning of Wizard of Oz. Well, you know what? They're at it again. The gang over at Reddit has uh, taken Darkseid into the theater, and they've uh, synced it up with The Force Awakens. And apparently, there are many things that happen to uh, make a relationship between the music that you're hearing from Floyd and the visuals you're seeing on the screen in Star Wars The Force Awakens. So if you want to uh, mm. look it up, hey, just simply uh, do a Google search of Dark Side and The Force Awakens and uh, you'll you'll see all of the... Well, wait, 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 wait. If you do a Google search for Dark Side... Uh, actually, Dark Side the Moon... And The Force yes. Awakens, I, I you're going to get a lot of hits. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Let me be a little more specific. There you go. But, uh, I mean, let me just give you one example. Uh, when Poe wakes up in Kylo Ren's torture chamber, the lyrics of The Great Gig in the Sky from Dark Side of the Moon go, I'm not afraid of dying. Any time will do. And the song Scream, there's a big scream in Great Gig of the Sky. It's, it's iconic. And it happens at, right at the moment when Poe opens his mouth as Kylo Ren is using the, his force abilities to get into Poe's mind. So you hear that scream. If you time it out just correctly. Huh. Yeah. I mean, and there's more examples. Um, so, yeah, tell them to take, take the, the dark side of the moon and sync it up with uh, The Force Awakens. Maybe this is too involved for the crew over at, uh, at Deb's uh, office. But, uh, oh, this, yeah, that might be. Although someone's going to probably do this on YouTube, I would imagine, where right. it's all synced up for you. Yeah, we could sit around and argue about that. Here, let me throw uh, uh, one. Have, have they talked about uh, is Ray Luke Skywalker's daughter? Have they? Uh, oh, they've been. They've been. Oh, done have they? Have they done that? They, done that? Okay, they, they okay, have yeah. done that. And yeah, that one, I think that one, like the Snoke one, is 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 a bit overdone. Well, you know who um, started asking me that question is is I finally, finally, Jason got my dad to go see The Force Awakens. Oh we, my. Oh, it must be at the Dollar Theater. Well, no. <laughs> but remember when I talked to my mom 
a few weeks back, you know, the the topic came up. Well, we got to get dad to go see it. And oh, no, oh, no, he's not going to go see it. It it was too much hype for him. It was too much Uh of a scene, Uh, you know. Well, that's why your mom had to go with, like, Clara or whatever her name was. Yeah, yeah, with the Golden Girls. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But my dad was resisting. So I finally was able to convince him to uh, join me at one of my favorite movie theaters in the world and, and go see The Force Awakens. And and we did it. It was a father-son moment. It was a beautiful thing. My dad took me to my very first Star Wars film back in 1977. The original, the real deal. And uh, I have not seen a Star Wars film with him since then. And uh, we had a great time. Uh, he uh, he uh, enjoyed the entire thing. And um, I knew, though, Jason, that if I wanted to get a legitimate review from him, I couldn't call him up like I did with my mom because, obviously, I saw the movie with him. And I couldn't pull out the microphones because if I did that, I wouldn't get an honest reaction from my dad. I know him. I've put I my so. I've put microphones in his face before. And let me just say he becomes an entirely different person, okay? <laughs> you know, he's very aware of the microphone in his face. So, I had to do what I had to do, and I wore a wire. <laughs> <laughs> You're Donnie Brasco in here <laughs> trying to get your dad's Force Awakens reaction. It's like an episode of The Sopranos all of a sudden. Yeah, right. But so I I wore a wire. And uh, I, I was able to uh, get some commentary from him. It, it, gosh, I mean, it was, it was like trying to pull teeth, really, because every time I brought it up, he changed the subject. <laughs> and believe me, folks, you do not want to hear what our conversations were outside of the realm of Star Wars. But as we were talking about Star Wars, I, there were a couple of minutes that I was able to extract from our conversation, and uh, I'm going to replay them for you right now. My dad does not know I recorded him. Unlike with my mom, who I recorded without her knowing on the phone, at the end of the conversation, I revealed to her that I did record her, and I actually asked her for permission if I could play it on the air. My dad does not get that kind of uh, courtesy. Uh-huh. <laughs> because no, he told me no. So, I mean, what am I going to do here? I have to go totally underground. I have to go totally undercover, and I have to wear a wire. So here we are. We're back in the car. So I I started talking to him about um, the movie. Uh, uh, Here's my dad's first review. That bartender in the movie, she looks kind of like a squeezed lemon. Oh. Where does she look like him for the first one? Yoda. Yoda. (laughs) That's it. Eileen Yoda. Eileen Yoda, that's her name? Her name's Eileen. That's funny. Well, was there anything that you didn't get? I mean, I'm, because you have me now, you might as well ask no, me. Oh, no, I figured, figured that would have been. Just don't be selling it There's plenty of that out here, believe me. The thing that threw well, Mom. Yeah. And he looks good. But I was he the old guy that was running the whole show? You know, in the on the dark side. Oh no no, that Supreme was Leader. The Supreme Leader 
We don't know anything about him. What happened to him? We don't he, know anything he about said him. said we have to escape to whatever. Yeah. So I, I think he got out, probably. He'll be back for the next one. Yeah. Yeah. He, he got out of there before they blew up the... Yes. Yes. Those guys got off that Starkiller base before they blew it up. But, um, you know, a lot, a lot of people are thinking that that guy, the Supreme Leader, he looks the way he does because Luke kicked his ass at some point. Yeah. And the general, did the general get away too? Yeah. Yeah. We assume he did because... Well, there were some, fly, there were some planes leaving there. Yeah. The thing blew up. There were. There definitely were. So, yeah. Right, well, wow! See, he seems pretty into it. Well, he he, he seems pretty into it. Into it. He, and he and I've not him. heard this whole, um, you know, could could Luke be Snoke? That that's interesting. <laughs> that's one. Yeah, my dad throws that out there. Yeah, yeah he's got he's, a theory. He's got. He does have a theory. He is checking in with some legitimate uh, analysis here of the Force Awakens. He is considering the fact that Luke could actually be masquerading as Snoke. <laughs> why, why, why not? not? Well, I mean, who's to say he's wrong at this? That's point? right. But uh, yeah, so um, and, and the thing that I really wish I had a recording of my dad during the film itself, because for some reason he latched on to Poe Dameron like nobody's business. The second Oscar Isaac was off the screen, and we saw that. TIE fighter gets swallowed by the quicksand and my dad immediately said well is he coming back I said who he said mm-hmm. I said Poe yes who is that actor I said his name's Oscar Isaac oh yeah Oscar Isaac my dad's talking full volume in the theater okay <laughs> oh, yeah. of course yeah, so, um, of course Oscar and, Isaac or is he coming back <laughs> But I was like, wow, that's interesting. My dad digs Poe Dameron. This is kind of crazy. So I did not, I don't think I have any recording of him talking about Poe. But when we came home, I was still wearing the wire. It was still rolling. And uh, Wendy was in the front room. And we walked in. Of course, when uh, Papa walks into the house, uh, everyone uh, is excited to see him. And so Wendy immediately wanted to know what he thought of The Force Awakens. What, uh, what did you think of the movie? I, I said I liked the first one better. I gave five stars, but I gave four to this one. Oh, so, that's yeah. pretty good. Four stars. Yeah. That's four good. stars and pop. Four out of five. And Harrison Ford will definitely be back. Oh, yeah. Excellent. That's your prediction? He ended up, he, yeah, he was having the stream, the plane crash in the park, and then Chewbacca got him out of the plane. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I think he's gone. I, think he's I don't know. I, I mean, I think so. Well, they, 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 he they, went too they easily. Him. Yeah, but he went too easily. Yeah, he sacrificed himself for trying to save his son. So. Yeah, but his son gave in too easily. You knew something was up, and he's like, "Okay, Dad." You know, that's not good. What kid says that to their dad? Okay. Well, dad. He, he said to me, "Now let that be a lesson to you." <laughs> that's when I moved over, chair. <laughs> that's funny. And, and of course, he was depressed by the marksmanship of the stormtroopers. Yeah, they got to go to. Uh, they got to go to range training. <laughs> I, I didn't see a bit anybody. <laughs> Did you uh, go with tradition, and were you a little late for the movie? Like, you were when you went? <laughs> no. Oh, no. We got there with about like, five minutes left in the trailers, so oh, we timed yeah, it perfectly. So. Oh. 
I, I can't sit through all of those trailers anymore. I just can't. No, I, I can't. And, and what's funny is Wendy brought it up, were you late for tradition? This poor man's yeah. never going to live this down. No, because he, he took me to the, uh, you know, that time, he took me to that Star Wars film in 77. We showed up at about 17 minutes late. It was as 3PO was being lowered into the oil bath. So, you know, Wendy doesn't forget that. Were you late again for your nerd thing? <laughs> but, um, but, so, <laughs> but so if you hear my dad, he gave it uh, four out of five stars. Right, right, right. He gives the original five stars. He thinks Han Solo will be back because mm-hmm. he thinks that Han crashed his plane in a golf course or a park, as my dad says, and Chewbacca <laughs> saved him. I think, I think Papa Mac is getting confused with uh, real-world incidents and uh, Star Wars. But that's okay. However, he I wants to I saw that. It. I saw that on the news. <laughs> Chewbacca got him out of the plane. I saw this part. I saw it already. Um, and then he also, you know, um, took note of Kylo turning on his son and... Um, he looked at me and then moved over a seat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But but you guys, you know, my dad, he's uh talk about casual fandom. Um however, through osmosis from living with me and my brother, uh he definitely does have a greater knowledge of Star Wars than you would actually imagine. He actually is a huge movie buff. My dad is a, a great lover of classic filmmaking, and I think that there were elements of the things he just simply loves about movies evident in The Force Awakens, and I think he was able to connect with that. I wish I, I would have talked to him more about Han Solo, I, specifically Harrison Ford. Harrison is, I believe, 73 years old. My dad is 75 years old. And uh, so, obviously, they're, they're, you know, peers. They're from the same generation. And I couldn't help but think that every time Han Solo saw some action in the film, my dad sitting next to me was vicariously living through Han Solo. So I thought it was a big thumbs up for uh, the senior fans of Star Wars. And, uh, and, you know, just because of the fact that he is my dad, I... I consider him to be a hardcore fan <laughs> for as much as a 75-year-old could be. Right. Well, it's very cool. Uh, any more uh, Mac family members that have yet to see Force Awakens? What about Sister Mac? Oh, boy. Oh, is she going to do it? Do you she expect it? me to go sit through <laughs> this nerd thing? But, I, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know if she's seen it yet. I mean, that would require me talking to her. And, uh, oh, yeah. That's a yeah, whole, you don't want to do that. Uh, yeah, no, uh, but no, I heard no. that she's recently married, so she might be, uh, you know, a little busy. Hey, my brother-in-law, well, her husband, my brother-in-law, is a huge Star Wars fan. So I certainly hope he did take her. I'll have to check in with those guys and uh, see what's up. But, uh but hey, you know, I'm the Star Wars fan here. This is my time, okay? I don't have to reach out to people to see how they liked it. They need to reach out to me. They need to come to you. That's right. All right. Just like we're going to go to the news. Let's see. I have good news for you, my lord. That's good news. Come closer. I have good news. All right. Brand new sponsor here for our news segment uh, brought to you by Loot Crate. Loot Crate. You've heard of Loot Crate. 
Jim, I know you've heard of Loot Crate. Your oh. boys have been getting it for some time. Yes, Loot Crate has been a regular feature in my house for a couple of years now. Uh, Loot Crate's this great service that delivers unbelievable collectibles to your door each and every month. You never know what you're going to get. And that that's what makes the anticipation for receiving one each and every month so exciting because you never know what you're going to get. Loot Crate is a monthly subscription box service that delivers you pop culture gear of the finest degree each and every month. For less than 20 bucks a month, you get at least four to eight items that include licensed gear, apparel, collectibles, and unique one-of-a-kind items. I mean, I'm telling you what, Jason, this is like getting a convention dealer room delivered to your doorstep each and every month. I'm loving it. I've got a box right here. I do too. So, and I have not looked inside yet. <laughs> I have not either. So I'm going to crack it open right now and see what Loot Crate all is right. delivering this month for February. There's all kind of cool stuff in here. There's a, oh, Space Invaders. A Space Invader mini alien vinyl figure. Oh, look at this. This is right up my alley as a guy from the 70s who grew up on Star Wars and classic arcade games. When you think of classic arcade games, one of the originals is Space Invaders. And this is a great vinyl figure that looks just like one of those aliens that you would zap if you were actually playing the vintage arcade game yourself. This is too cool, and this is going right up on display right now. Now, now I'm excited this. I got a T-shirt here. I've got a T-shirt commemorating the uh, the, the X-Files. Uh, this is great because I've been watching the X-Files, the new the, the uh, season, I guess this is season 10, uh, the miniseries that's been on Monday nights. And uh, my wife, oh, see, this is perfect because actually I think... I think my wife could wear this T-shirt. This is awesome. She's a big X-Files fan. So we've got a black T-shirt with uh, Scully and Mulder kind of running through the forest and the uh, eerie green lights beaming down on them. That's uh, that's very cool. Yeah, we got? That's an exclusive, too, to Lucrate, that X-Files shirt. I've been loving the X-Files revival going on on Fox. Yeah, me too. Jason, well, are you looking I got at what something? I'm, I got something for the for the kids. Are you looking at what something I'm looking at? I, I probably am. Um, I got a an adorable. When you think adorable and you think plush, I know you think the face hugger alien from the Alien franchise, and that's what we've got here. It's like a beanie baby face hugger alien. It's unbelievable, and and actually, Jason, if you look. At it has a little elastic band. You can actually wrap it around your head and wear it. Yeah, <laughs> this is—it's a wearable, but it, but and it's very cute as well. And I mean, these are just small examples of the great stuff you can get in Loot Crate. Oh my God! Exclusive uh, Invasion mini art prints in this box from the day the Earth stood still. War of the Worlds, classic, classic oh, yeah, that's cool. sci-fi. Would, yeah. That's right up my alley. And uh, here's an exclusive prop replica multi-pass from the fifth element. More X-Files. LED flashlight. I'll oh, you tell you what. Just like Scully and Mulder yeah, going since down the, the 90s. Uh, since the 90s, I've always been very impressed with the flashlight technology in the X-Files. In the X-Files. <laughs> now I have my very own. This is some cool stuff in here. My God. I can't believe all of this stuff in one loot crate. I mean, this is the, the type of stuff you get each and every month delivered to your door. My kids have been subscribing to Loot Crate for a couple of years now, and it's always a big celebration when the box shows up. This the, the, the iconic black box shows up at your doorstep, and it's just a party inside the house once it opens up. 
And of course, Loot Crate is aligned with great franchises like Star Wars, Marvel, The Walking Dead, Legend of Zelda, so much great stuff. Classic video games like we see in this Space Invaders vinyl figure that comes in this month's Loot Crate. Loot Crate guarantees $40 plus in value with each crate. Sometimes it's a lot more. And each month it's a different theme. Yeah, all you got to do is uh, go to LootCrate.com slash Rebel Force. That's Loot Crate. L-O-O-T-C-R-A-T-E dot com slash Rebel Force, and you will use promo code Rebel Force to get $3 off any Core Crate subscription. Once again, LootCrate.com slash Rebel Force. And uh, boy, great to have them on board here at Rebel Force Radio. We thank them very much for their support. Uh, lots more coming up on the program, including the author of the junior novelization of The Force Awakens, uh, Michael Kogi. He'll be joining us. Also, I don't know if you saw this story. This has been making the rounds. It's everywhere about the uh, true crime journalist that went on a mission to track down the actor who played Boshek in uh, 1977 Star Wars A New Hope. Uh, We've got him on the program also to talk about that journey. Uh, So much more. But let's get to these headlines. Exciting times for us here as Star Wars fans as Bob Iger confirms on the uh what, what's this uh what is this 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 is the quarterly uh call for um what is it the stockholders yeah every three months the walt disney company holds their quarterly earnings call where they report to their stockholders about all the great things the company has achieved in that time and of course you know that this time around the big thing that's going to be on display is Star Wars The Force Awakens. Obviously, with the huge success that film has had, it's been the biggest film in Walt Disney history. It's been the biggest film in United States domestic box office history, and it's uh, over the $2 billion mark worldwide box office bonanza. I mean, really. These are, these are the records. Let's just, let's just go down the list here real quick. Biggest domestic preview gross of all time. Biggest opening day domestically of all time. Biggest domestic second weekend of all time. Biggest domestic third weekend of all time. Biggest opening week, uh, opening week domestically. Biggest opening weekend in 18 territories, including uh, the United States, the United Kingdom, Australia, Russia, Germany, Sweden, Norway, Finland, Austria, Poland, Denmark, Romania, Hungary, Bulgaria, Croatia, Ukraine, Iceland, Serbia, New Zealand, uh, fastest film to uh, reach the one billion mark globally did it in 12 days and the biggest film of all time in the U.S. and the U.K. Not to mention five Academy Award nominations for film editing, visual effects, sound editing and sound mixing and for John Williams score. Uh Huge, huge. That's the tail of the tape right so there. So obviously Bob Iger was uh, pretty happy to uh, <laughs> sure. face That's the stockholders. And uh, the Rebel Force Radio microphones were there as Bob Iger had such great news to report about the success of Star Wars The Force Awakens. It's been absolutely thrilling to see the reaction to our first Star Wars feature film, The Force Awakens. Audiences and critics alike really love this movie. It's the only film in history to ever reach 900 million in domestic box office. And as you may have heard, it crossed $2 billion in global box office over the weekend, 
more than doubling the worldwide box office for the last Star Wars release a decade ago. Breaking records at the box office is only the beginning. Global retail sales for Star Wars merchandise in the first quarter exceeded $3 billion, more than triple the global retail for this franchise in Q1 of last year. Star Wars is also driving unprecedented growth for our mobile games, and EA's launch of Star Wars Battlefront was the biggest video game release in Star Wars history, with more than 13 million units sold. There you go. That's uh, that is enormously impressive stuff. I'd say that they're pretty happy with their four billion dollar investment, <laughs> considering that the film has earned two billion, the merchandise has earned three billion. Uh, sounds like there may be a billion to the good here. That merchandise is just going to keep paying off for them. I mean, over and over and over again. You know, it makes me think about when George sold the company to. Uh, Disney and uh, we got the news 4.4 billion and we were all just blown away by it. There was one guy who felt like George got the short shift. Wait, no, no, that's not right. Short shift, short shrift, shrift. Yeah, there's an R in that. There's an R. Short shrift. That one guy was Samuel Jackson. Thought, thought George got totally lowballed. What do you think of George Lucas getting four billion for uh, Lucas Film? He got cheated. That he got cheated. You think he deserved more? Of course. That's a lot of money. Is it? That's billion with a B. Not a lot of money to some people. Hey, you know what? Three plus years later, I think Sam is right on, man. George should have held out for maybe five, six, seven billion. Because the franchise is certainly worth that. And and definitely, I think a lot of the success has to do with the way that Disney has shepherded the franchise and, and let it grow and, and develop it into to something that um, is very accessible for all fans to enjoy. So, uh, you know... I'll tell. This is the first time I've ever seen it. You know, give Bob Iger a big slap on the back. I, I think, uh, I think this this collaborative effort in uh, bringing Star Wars back has uh, obviously, you know, the proof is in the film itself. It was fantastic. We all loved it. But the uh, the the absolute success that it's achieved, both critically and commercially, is something that we should really step back at and say, "Wow, that's that's really impressive." Good news for Disney. Good news for Star Wars. Big success is what we want because that means there's going to be plenty of Star Wars material coming down the pipe as we move forward. What kind of material? That's Now we're getting to the part we really want to get to when it comes to Bob Iger and these uh, quarterly earnings call. We want updates. We want to know what's going on in Star Wars Nation. And we want to know what's happening with Episode Eight. Rogue One, and hey, let's even look forward to Episode Nine and that Han Solo film. Let's hear what Bob has to say about all of that. Filming of Star Wars Episode Eight, the next chapter of the legendary saga, has just commenced, and it will be in theaters December 2017. And production of Episode Nine, a 2019 release, has also begun. In the meantime, we'll keep fans engaged in the Star Wars universe and further expand the franchise with the release of Rogue One this coming December. It's a compelling and original standalone story about a band of rebels attempting to steal the plans to the Death Star set just prior to the events in the very first Star Wars movie, Episode Four: A New Hope. Filming of Rogue One is virtually completed 
and we absolutely love what we've seen so far. This is the first of a set of planned standalone stories, and we're already in pre-production on our next one for release in May of 2018. And on the parks front, later this year, we'll break ground on spectacular new Star Wars theme lands in Disneyland and Walt Disney World. Okay, so there's a lot of good stuff he's revealing right there. We obviously knew about the groundbreaking happening at Disneyland and Disney World, but he does reveal that filming has begun on Episode Eight. Rogue One filming virtually done. And the Han Solo standalone film, while he did not identify it as specifically the Han Solo, but we know that the next standalone film will be the Han Solo film. He says May 2018. So that's interesting. We're going to see an absolute shift back to summer uh, for the Han Solo film. Yeah, yeah. Um so that's what they're saying now. That's what they're saying now. I know. You know <laughs> we, what? You, uh, you might have once. Uh, shame yeah. on you. Yeah, fool me twice. Shame on me. You might have uh, noticed a hesitation in my voice, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll see. Um, you know, I, I, I'm jazzed because we know that the Han Solo movie is uh, based on a script written by Lawrence Kasdan uh, and his son John. Uh, we've got the guys from uh, the Lego movie, Phil Lord and Chris Miller. They're uh, directing, co-directing. So, I mean, it. I think on paper it sounds like it could be uh, really exciting. It's going to be the first time that we're going to see uh, such an iconic Star Wars character brought to life as a younger version with a different actor. Though we don't know what Rogue One is going to see. I mean, we might see uh, something kind of like that. Uh, Possibly. I don't know. Maybe they'll just kind of, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a little cameo appearance by a character or two just to sort of take the temperature of the fans and how they're going to accept a different actor playing you know, a role like that. But um, clearly they've got the schedule all laid out. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I would say to these stockholders, I, I, I wouldn't expect Rogue One to perform to the level of. Uh, Episode seven, uh, it's just going to it's going to be fascinating to to watch it. I don't want to be a downer by any stretch because I think the film's going to do very, very well. But, um, you know, there's a lot of people out there that, you know, they don't follow this stuff as closely as we do. They see that a new Star Wars movie is in the theater and they're going to think that it's episode eight. Oh, absolutely. And I know that that's an internal fear at Lucasfilm Disney, too, about. How do they uh, follow up what what they just pulled off here with The Force Awakens? A lot of people are praising the fact that it was, as far as marketing goes, it it was an excellent rollout. And, of course, the box office speaks volumes. And um, and the the critical and fan reaction means a lot, too. So how are they going to follow that up? That's kind of a... A big question mark out there. You know, it really is. And we haven't heard much about Rogue One. And I think that the the folks at Lucasfilm are relieved about that. Uh, Obviously, The Force Awakens has casted a large shadow. And within that shadow, the folks at Rogue One have been able to work in relative peace, I believe, compared to the major spotlight that was shining on The Force Awakens and the pressure that J.J. Abrams and crew were under to 
bring the Star Wars franchise back. Well, now we see it is back, and it's firing on all cylinders. So it has to take a lot of the pressure away from the Rogue One production crew and marketing plan. However, big shoes to fill. (laughs) The Force Awakens. Wow. So what are they going to do? My prediction is you're going to see heavily marketed Darth Vader imagery to tie in with Rogue One. We've heard heavy rumors that Darth Vader is going to be featured in Rogue One. We've heard insiders say that his scenes are actually brutal in the film. I mean, that's Mm. the rumor about Darth Vader in Rogue One. And uh, I think that if Darth Vader is going to be returning to the silver screen, they are going to play that up. It's not going to be held back as a mystery. It's going to be something that's going to be in your face once the marketing really kicks in full gear for Rogue One. When do you think that's going to happen? Maybe midsummer? They're not going to start marketing this film as early as they started marketing The Force Awakens. It's obvious. We haven't seen a trailer for Rogue One outside of that visual movie poster that was only screened once at Star Wars Celebration, which is going on 10 months ago. Um, We haven't seen anything from Rogue One. So when they finally do kick in the marketing, it'll probably happen midsummer. Because, uh, I mean, this point last year, we had already seen one teaser trailer for The Force Awakens, and we were getting primed for Star Wars Celebration Anaheim, where we knew we were going to be getting The Force Awakens uh, content. But um, Rogue One, yeah, working in the shadows. But wait, there is actually something that happened this week, Rogue One related. We actually have an actor from Rogue One. Talking about Rogue One, I think this is a first, Jason. I think so. This is the first time we've had a cast member, um, at least on a on a television show like this. We had Forrest Whitaker on the Today Show talking to Al Roker and Natalie Morales talking about uh, the play that he's in right now, Huey, and the uh, topic of Rogue One came up. Here's what Forrest had to say. You've got a completely different kind of project yeah. coming up, Star Wars Rogues. <laughs> yeah, yeah, look, I did that right before I came here, you know. It was, uh, I so had your a, scenes, scenes are already shot? Yeah, it's done. Oh. It comes out next Christmas. Uh, the character I can't really talk about, unfortunately. <laughs> but, uh, J.J. Abrams will silence you. Uh, Gareth, Gareth, a, Gareth, a guy named Gareth directed oh, the film. This one, yeah. that's right. He's, this is the yeah. next one. Yeah. And this one is uh, a, a little edgy. It's, it's before, you know, it's a prequel in a way. Oh my God! I you oh, know, did he just say the p word? <laughs> he did. I don't think that that's exactly how they want this film to be promoted as a prequel. Mm. Yeah, and other things to take out of what Forrest just said there. He did reveal that filming is done, just like Bob Iger said, and he refers to Gareth Edwards, his director, as a guy named Gareth. So it's obvious he couldn't remember his last name when put on the spot at that moment. I'm sure Forrest will know. Gareth Edwards' name fully by the time that he starts promoting the film. It sounds pretty disengaged from the project, if you ask me. Yeah, you know. I mean, mean, I'm sure, you know, when you're Forrest Whitaker, a job's a job, but dude, you're in Star Wars. Well, I mean. You're in Star Wars. It's not a job. Haven't we seen? Yeah, I just did it. A guy named Gareth directed it, I uh, I think. Uh, uh, It comes out next Christmas. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, he's being he's being too. I mean, what the heck? I mean, normally these people are like, I can't believe I'm in Star Wars. Yeah, it was amazing. I can't. I wish I could talk more about it. I can't, but it was incredible. Well, um, cut, cut him some no, slack. There was like no enthusiasm. Cut him some slack. He did say he can't say anything about it, and maybe he's just in that weird. Yeah, but sort he can be zone. excited about that. Does Force Whitaker get excited about anything? Maybe the, maybe it's know. just part of his personality, and 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 the the real crime here goes to Al Roker, who says, "So what? You're in this uh, movie, uh, Star Wars Rogues." I, I, he he gets the title play playback just the very beginning. Listen to Al. Yeah, here he is. You've got a completely different kind of project yeah. coming up, Star Wars Rogues. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Star, Star Wars, Wars Rogues. Rogues. You know, yeah. hey, if you're going to ask the question, know what you're asking the question about, Al. Okay, a little accuracy. And listen, I love Al Roker just like everyone in America does. But come on, Al. Um, yeah. But yeah, Star Wars Rogues, that could be the next little Debbie snack cake. <laughs> Perhaps it could be. Bite into a Star Wars Rogue. We got little Debbie snack cakes That's to give away. Filling. You know, I mean, each and every week here on Rebel Force Radio, we're giving away the gift of Little Debbie Snacks. Uh, you guys know all about it. You you guys here is giving it away. And all you have to do is spread the word about Little Debbie on social media. Be sure to include Rebel Force Radio and your raves about Little Debbie. And uh, we'll notice it, just like we noticed a tweet from Franklin Taylor, who said... I start my Kiati Monday off right with some Little Debbie Cosmic Cupcakes and Rebel Force Radio Rebels Declassified tonight. Beautiful plan. Great job, Franklin Taylor. Get a hold of us. Show at Rebel Force Radio, Franklin. Send us your shipping address and we will send you a Little Debbie Galactic Snack Bag, including all the Little Debbie treats you know and love, including Cosmic Cupcakes in that galactic snack bag. And we're we're giving away Little Debbie each and every week here on Rebel Force Radio because of course Little Debbie is the official snack of fans across the galaxy. All right, uh, as I said earlier, this story that's been going around uh, the web, uh, big 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 news for Star Wars fans, particularly those that are uh, fans of the Cantina sequence in A New Hope. Actor who had played Boshek, the sort of uh, roguish, speaking of rogues, roguish guy that we see in the cantina talking to Obi-Wan Kenobi just prior to his meeting uh, Han Solo. This is the guy that actually introduces Obi-Wan to Chewbacca. So there's been the big mystery, Jason, for, for years. Who was the actor who played Boshek? It's been an unsolved mystery for a long time. And and we know about this because at Star Wars Celebration Anaheim, on the behind-the-scenes stage that we hosted, there was a panel. The panel was Secrets of the Moss Eisley Cantina. It was a follow-up to the, uh, the first version that Pablo Hidalgo and Tom Spina, who's a friend of us here at uh, Rebel Force Radio, did. And uh, this guy, Billy Jensen, was in the audience. And Billy is a... Uh, a journalist who covers uh, cold cases and unsolved crimes. And uh, he thought, wow, maybe I could uh, lend my expertise in finding out, tracking down at last who it was that played Boshek. And uh, so joining us right now on the line is Billy Jensen, especially glad of the special case that uh, you found yourself on for, on behalf of all Star Wars fans. One of the great, one of the great mysteries has yeah. been solved, and it took an actual 
uh, true crime journalist. So this is this is legitimate. Yes. Um, this is what you do for a living. Uh, tell us a little bit about your career as a writer who specializes in true crime and how you found yourself uh, at Celebration in Anaheim uh, in our stage. By the way, Jimmy Mack and I uh, hosted the uh, <clears throat> behind-the-scenes stage where the uh, Secrets of the Cantina, Masaisley Cantina uh, panel was, uh, was occurring. But how did you end up there? And tell us a little bit about... Um, your career as a as a writer that uh, handles these types of things. Yeah, so you know I write about uh, unsolved murders and uh, missing persons. That's what I do, and uh, you know I've sort of carved out a niche for myself about five years ago, uh, talking about and writing about citizen detectives and crowd solving and how people have ordinary people, and they're out there on the internet. You are using social media and using their own skills and boredom to solve crimes. So, um, you know, and I've written about that for uh, a bunch of different publications, for Boston Magazine, for um, for Rolling Stone. And I'm also on a uh, television show called uh, called uh, Crime Watch Daily, where I am a senior producer and it's a Warner Brothers show and it's syndicated. It's on anywhere. Uh, it's on a whole bunch of stations. Uh, you have to just look it up. But what I do is I I am the the sort of unsolved guy, and I have been doing it for about fifteen years now. So I, but I'm also a big geek, and I uh, when I heard about Star Wars Celebration and the new movie was coming out, and I had always wanted to go. My daughter, who was uh, seventeen at the time, and I said, you know what, uh, let's go. And I kind of used her as an excuse in order to go. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, I just wanted to really walk the floor and get a we, we signed up to get a picture with uh, with uh, the emperor, with Mr. Palpatine. Mm. And sort of, we sort of got it in the sense that uh, we made it look like it was a family photo and we put it <laughs> in a frame like it's a family photo and we have it up on my wall. So we have all these family photos up on the wall and then we have all right, the daughter. I, I, <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. I love awkward family photos, especially uh, with um, uh, Emperor Palpatine. But, but, so why him? You've we, got we all of these characters. Yeah, you know, it's weird. It was it was almost like you know, I I had I had loved Luke, and I and I grew up with Luke, and and I just I, I for some reason I said it would be I thought it would be more funnier to do it with the Emperor. So. <laughs> And my daughter is so sort of off kilter like that. So she was like, yeah, let's do it. So we did it. But, uh, you know, did you did you tell him what you were going to do with the photo? Did you say let's No, you have such little time. I don't know if you've ever done that. It's just like, all right, here you go. Uh, You know, make sure you don't close your eyes. And that's what I was mostly (laughs) uh, focused on. So that was it. But, uh, you know, I, I didn't. And I've been to Comic Con a bunch of times, and uh, but I, I didn't really expect to go to any panels. But I was looking at the panels, and I saw the Cantina one, and it looked really interesting. And the fact that they were doing uh, sort of the archaeology of the Cantina and really getting behind the scenes. And the Cantina was my daughter's favorite scene, and she's uh, she loves music, and and obviously that was your first introduction to to, to music and a band playing. And I love bars. So it was a perfect place to uh, to say, hey, you know what, let's let's go to the Cantina archaeology. And I love the fact that they were naming a character after somebody in the in the in the crowd. I thought that was kind of neat, too. So I thought this this is cool. Let's do this. So we waited online for it. We went there and I'm sitting in the audience and 
Pablo and Tom did a fantastic job. It was really well done. You guys did a great job of hosting it. It was really a well done panel. And I'm I'm sitting there and then they get to, you know, they're introducing different characters and they they showed a scene where you see actually how much of a badass Obi-Wan was with the the deleted scene where they he actually cut off uh, I be- was it Walrus's head or was it the uh, was it the the doctor's head? I think it was Walrus Man's head that got decapitated. It, it, yeah, it was Pondababa's head, and he cut off. It, and we didn't see. So I was like, I was reeling from that. And then they they mentioned Boshek, and they say that we don't know who Boshek is. And I always loved Boshek. And one of the things that I've written about in my career is I've written about unsung heroes. I've written about. Uh, Boston Corbett, who is the man that killed John Wilkes Booth that you don't really hear about. He's the Jack Ruby of the Lincoln assassination. I've written about the, I did a big feature story on the only murder on 9-11 other than obviously the murders in, you know, the only murder in New York City on 9-11 other than the murders that happened at the World Trade Center and in in the planes. Wow. And it was always this sort of these overshadowed characters that I've always been interested in. And Boshek was this guy that I had seen and love the fact that in, and listen, as a kid, no, I wasn't a big Boshek fan. I was just into the story and I saw Luke and, and Obi-Wan and Chewbacca and I was into that. But watching it later as an adult and seeing that Obi-Wan went to this guy and started talking to him and the guy was it said, for whatever reason, I can't do it. But, you know, why don't you take a look at, at this guy? And uh, that's what started the journey. And. When I heard them say that we don't know who Boshek is, I was kind of dumbfounded because we know so much about the Star Wars universe, both behind the scenes and uh, and the universe itself and the canon itself, that the fact that there are this there is this mystery that's out there really blew me away. And I'm sitting there in the seats saying, you know what, I'll never be in a Star Wars movie this is, but I'm sitting here amongst a thousand people hearing this. I can do something. Let me use my skills in order to try and solve this mystery. This is amazing. This and is amazing because I, I remember being in that room and hearing this presentation going on. And little did I know there was such brainstorming happening just <laughs> like rows behind me. And and it, it's incredible that you were able to get inspired that way and also find yourself in a situation where you could actually maybe make a difference. And that's the amazing thing about, about the internet and the fact that, and I write a lot of stories about people who have been able to solve unsolved murders, a lot of, or, or even more so uh, you see a lot of missing persons being matched up with unidentified remains. And there are individuals that do this, that spend their time trying to say, hey, there's these unidentified remains. It might be this missing person or that missing person. So, you know, that was the, that's always been in my mind and I've covered a lot of those stories. And when I heard this, I said, all right, you know what, this is going to be more than a few Google searches. I know the people in this room. If Tom and and Pablo are saying that, no, this, this is, we don't know who this person is. It's going to be more than that. When I, uh, you know, I tell my daughter, I say, all right, I'm going to try to find this guy. She says, yeah, whatever. I said, no, seriously. So I, when I get home and I start doing searches and you start finding the first search that you would find out is that, uh, Boshek was played by a guy named Anthony Lang. Uh, but that's not true. 
And you could find people saying, no, that's not true. It's not, it, that wasn't him. And you start going down and you, you have a lot of this as an investigative journalist, especially in true crime, you go down rabbit holes. And what rabbit holes are like are, if you remember the Kennedy assassination, anybody that out there that's into the Kennedy assassination, you can get really into the rabbit hole of the magic bullet. And that could be what you're all about. Or the three tramps that were found outside of Dealey Plaza. That could be what you're all about and you just study them forever. But there's certain things about uh, of uh, certain actors that you try to go down and try to go down these rabbit holes, and you'll never you'll never get it. So I went down a bunch of different rabbit holes, uh, trying to find you know who this might might be. So the what were these? What were these rabbit holes? You know, some of them were you know actors that uh, you know names of actors, and then you start doing you do search it. So you have a name and it's always better that it's a, a different name because if you're doing Google searches, it's, it's, you know, if it's Tom Smith, it's going to be harder than if it's, if it's something that's, you know, PJ McGillicuddy. So you go down that hole and then you start, you know, particularly, and, and I actually went down a, a rabbit hole with Basil Tomlin before I even knew it was him where I did a search for him. I didn't find anything except a genealogy site. And I found, I don't even know if I found the right guy uh, when I was doing that search, but I found somebody that, that had been in the UK that had passed away. And I'd gotten his name from a list of, uh, of people that Tom Spina had from that was at Elstree at that time. Right. right. Uh, on that day. But nobody was attached to anybody. But there was a bunch of different characters that, that you start to, uh, you talk to and... I'm like, okay, fine. Let me try to find out whoever was there. You know, so I had his picture from the cantina, and I also had a picture of him from a show called The New Avengers. Right, right. And, yes, this is all on your blog, too, by the way. I, I want to point our listeners in the right direction. BillyJensen.com is the place where you'll be able to find the blog. Finding Bo Sheck. This is an amazing piece, and you can see the photos of, uh, especially this this the screen grab from the New Avengers show. You clearly see that that is Bo Sheck wearing a uh, a poofy hat and uh, dressed up like some sort of a uh, uh, Russian thug, as he's that's identified, right. and. Uh, and and that that's clearly him. So so we're on a path now. We we have a direction. So I, I'm curious, where does the new Avengers lead you? Does I mean, does that actually take well, you? That, that was the big thing because I figured that everybody has gone down the Star Wars path, right? But the new Avengers thing was different. So I'm going to try the new Avengers. So I'm doing searching for the new Avengers. I find the show. I'm working with a guy. The, actually, he's the guy that makes his name is Greg. He's a great guy. And I start talking to people on Facebook and I'm talking to all these Brits. And I love the Brits. They're fantastic. We're going to go have beers or pints, <laughs> as they call them, when, when, uh, to celebrate this uh, when I go over there next time. But, uh, you know, I'm talking to him. He uh, he's the guy that makes the little Kenny Baker custom action figures like the, the that are actually of Kenny Baker. Right, right, and, right. And he, are we talking he, about those action wants, figures where it's 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 like the R two, and then you see a head coming out of it, and it's no, Kenny it's just Kenny. It's like Kenny in a in a in a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> <laughs> how do how do I not have this in my collection? Can you send me an email, a, a link to where I can actually will. because I need this. 
So he says, uh, you know, we start talking about that new Avengers episode and I'm looking for it. And I find out that the that that particular episode was was about this. uh, You know, one of the one of the crazy things that happens in the episode is that there's a massacre of a Salvation Army band. (laughs) <laughs> and, oh you know, it's like, why would you ever think that that was that would be good in a plot that somebody wrote that? But I found out that this show had been filmed. That this particular episode was filmed in France yes. and in Canada. It was a two part episode. So I thought maybe the guy was French because he kind of looks a little French, Boshak. So I was when I, then when I would reach out to the extras of Star Wars that I had found while I was doing the searches. Um, like Pam Rose. Now, Pam Rose plays the character of, she's got this like big, I don't know, you know, there were, there were, there weren't that many women in the cantina. We all know about the twins that were in the cantina. We know about the deleted scene of Han Solo, who he, uh, with his sort of girlfriend or whatever. But there was also that woman with the big giant head with the tuft of hair uh, in between. She had nice long legs. She played her. Yes. Lisa Serlin. Lisa, yes. And I asked, and I, she was very, very funny. And I asked her, I was just like, did you ever see him? It's like, I was hoping maybe he might've talked to her. Maybe he hit on her. Who knows? <laughs> and she was just like, it was 40 years ago. <laughs> so she didn't remember anything. Uh, you know, I talked to Lori Good, who's the, the stormtrooper who famously hit his head on the, uh, on the bay doors and the, and the death star. And, uh, you know, I was talking to a bunch of different people. I think I talked to one of the, the guy that was holding the medals at the end of the um, at, at the end of the movie. Uh, I talked yes. to that guy. I was yes. just trying to get anybody that might have known who he was or maybe he was because a lot of these guys were in a bunch of different scenes. Maybe he was in the scene in the beginning at the end. But, sure. you know, nothing worked out. So, you know, he wasn't I didn't know, find out if he was uh, French or not. I contacted a the British casting agency. And uh, couldn't find anything with that. I contacted the French agency, which I saw had casted that that uh, particular episode, which is called Mamed. They had nothing about this guy. And so I was like, well, I've got to put this out wide as wide as I could for any kind of Google search, if anybody's ever going to Google it. So I put it on. There's a a great uh, British uh, uh, message board for people that like British old British TV. And I put his photo up there and I said, anybody who knows who this is, he was in this episode of the new Avengers. He also played this character because and I had a feeling that the people wouldn't be if somebody was searching for him, it was a family member. They weren't going to be searching for a guy named Boshek. They were just going to be searching for a guy that was the space guy in the cantina. For sure. Right. Yeah. Nobody's really going to know. Nobody's that going to be that geeky as us, you know, that knows the name Boshek. Right. So I also put it on Rebel Scum. And I said, I'm looking for this guy. Um, yes, his name is Boshek, because uh, I didn't want to ruin all my geek cred by, you know, uh, but say his name is Boshek. This is him. Uh, these are the pictures that I have of him, if anybody knows. And really, you know, when it comes to Internet detection, it turned from being an active investigation to what I call a wanted poster investigation, which Absolutely. is throwing it out there like America's most wanted and seeing what was out there. Yes. So. I had been checking maybe every month or so doing it. And this had all happened in a fury uh, in the in the summer, but it had died down. And I had other I had true crimes to work on and <laughs> right. this, this to try and solve. And I I kind of put it aside and I would check every now and then. And I had a Google alert set up. And so uh, I got a you know, this uh, it was what was it? It was Monday it, this Monday. I got a message uh, and it was said it was from Rebel Scum message board and I opened it up and 
it was this gentleman that was saying that this was my grandfather. And I said, oh, yeah, whatever. And he said, I can send you a photo so to prove that I'm not pulling your leg. And I was like, all right, well, this is potentially promising. So I wrote him and I said, you know, what do you, uh, you know, this is, this is great. But yes, I would certainly like to see a photo. And then he introduced me to his mother, who is Basil Tomlin's daughter. And uh, she was a very pleasant lady. And she said, yes, okay, uh, you know, I will send you a photo. I'll try to dig up others. He, she sends me this photo. I open it up and I'm staring into the <laughs> eyes of Boshek. And it's a and great I photo, by you. the way. It's a great photo. It's part of your blog. It's uh, clearly Boshek. And uh, we're talking sideburns and all. And it he's... was the sideburns, the dark eyes, the, the, the people's eyebrow, which people have talked about, you know, that sort of raised eyebrow, which he had in the press photos. Yeah. And yeah. he's. it was just so, you know, working on Unsolved Murders and, and Missing Persons, you don't have a lot of success. You know, you, 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 get a, a, uh, you, you get some type of satisfaction with helping the families. But, you know, I've only been able to work on ones that have been solved like three or four times out of probably 100 when it comes down to it. Mm -hmm. And I'm getting better and better at it, but it's just uh, that's what it is. Listen, we have 5,000 murders every year in America that go unsolved. And uh, so to have this, it was just a it was just a really good feeling. And also <laughs> to have them say that we'd love to get him credited for this. And I said, well, I, I will get on this right now. Uh, this is a this is a fantastic story. So I was actually jumping on a plane uh, to fly to L.A. and I uh, I was excited about it. And I said, all right, you know what? I've got to write this up. So I I didn't go out on Monday night. I just wrote it up and uh, and published it. And the response has been fantastic. I think everybody really loves this character. And it's it, it's it was he was a character that was never said a word but was very cool looking and, you know, was just there and could have potentially been the guy. I mean, who knows? You know, he could have been solo. He could have been solo if he wasn't booked. Now we assume with Boshak that uh, Obi-Wan had approached him, obviously looking at his astronauts uh, outfit, uniform, what have you. And he said, I'm going to approach this cat and see if he could get me off of this dust bowl and go over to Alderaan. And he goes over to Boshek and Boshek goes, hey, sorry, pal, I'm booked. This is a story I'm hearing constantly as I try to book reservations for uh, Valentine's Day dinner. And so, <laughs> so, I mean, I understand what Obi-Wan's going through, but right away he's got Chewbacca right over his shoulder. And Boshek is the man who introduced Obi-Wan Kenobi to Chewbacca. And it happens in a blink of an eyelash. I mean, really, what kind of impact does it have on you as a fan? However, it does matter to Star Wars fans because if you're a character and you have even a millisecond of screen time, you're an instant legend. Absolutely. And you get your action figure, and uh, you know there are people that haven't weren't even on screen of the original that that have gotten your action their action figures. And and for me, you know, growing up as a kid, that was that was such an action figure freak. Yeah. Uh, and you know that was that was you know, obviously he didn't have an action figure back then. That came later on. But you know to be immortalized in plastic like that—that's the ultimate. And to have this guy that had had his own action figure and they still didn't know who the image was of the guy that played him, you know, that was probably the biggest thing that blew my mind. 
And, uh, you know, I just had to, I had to go out and try to find him. And, uh, I was, I'm very, very happy that, that it all worked out well. So it sure sounds like his family has been kind of pining for this recognition after all these years. And, uh, they realize that their dad or their, their uncle, grandfather, Grandpa. you know, uh, this, this, yeah. you know, this, this guy who was a prominent member of the family, he, was in one of the greatest films, one of the biggest box office successes of all time. And so they're looking for maybe a little bit of recognition for his efforts in that film. Yeah. So apparently I think only one person knew it. It might've just been his daughter and they were all around. They, the whole family didn't know it until Christmas. They were all around Christmas and they were, they were at Christmas uh, dinner and they started talking about it. And they were able to figure out, oh, my God, he was that guy. And they did a search and found my post on, on Rebel Scum. And then that, that, that's how they, they came to find Wow. Me. So, so it's like the force working in mysterious ways. It just so happened to be that the family discovered the fact that, that th- this member of their family, was, their, their father was in Star Wars. And this is just a mere months after you put out the, uh, the net so to speak. You put up the yes. wanted poster. It, yes, exactly. That's exactly what this was. This That's was amazing. A wanted poster. And for a smuggler, for a smuggler too, because he was a Karelian smuggler. So it, it makes, you know, it, it really does fit perfectly. Oh, this is great. And, I love how you know, you're keeping it all in universe too, because that's perfect for us because we never leave the universe. So I, yes. I, I just want to say, I really appreciate you speaking the language. Yes. Well, I try, you know, well, it's, you don't, uh, I don't even have to try. You're, you're, I, I was introduced to star Wars at five years old. There it it's is. So much a part of my DNA. And, uh, you know, just from the, you know, I, I, I was a religious studies major because of Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey and how it related to star Wars. So, uh, which much to the chagrin of my parents. So it's really amazing that I've been able to make a career out of doing something. Uh, but it, that's what it was based on. I got a, I got a, I got a master's degree in, and a, uh, a master. Yeah, I got a, a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in religious studies. And it started off with because of Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey. So, you know, Star Wars was such a big, profound effect on me and to be able to contribute even just such a small way uh, has been has been so great this past week. You know, I just have. I've been finding myself just walking down, you know, down the hallway, just smiling a little bit. That's awesome. And, you know, one of the things that people have 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 come to me and, and wrote to me is like, "All right, can you please solve this other mystery?" <laughs> Which is, I mean, there's two of them. You know, I did mention at the end of it about walrus man, so we don't know who Ponda Baba was. We, we, we all right, that's going to be a really hard one. Ooh, that yeah. uh, because the person was wearing a, a, a mask for sure. Hard, hard to prove, right? Hard to prove. I mean, it we, could be Jimmy Mack for all we know. We, no, it could be Jimmy Mack. No, impossible. We, I. I can't wear a mask is our friend tom spina knows right tom i can't put on a, a mask tom nope there he is uh, now now tom people think that 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 ponda baba might be a female because the the mask seems and you know this better than anybody probably in the universe right now uh, maybe 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 except for rick baker that the mask was small it seems and the head was kind of small it seems like it might have been a woman's head it, Actually, the reverse. The mask is enormous. Really? Um, yeah. And the original, it's still in the archives. Uh, and it is, it's really big. And, and, and uh, the, uh, the, way you, the way you know how big a mask is is when you have to replicate it for something. And okay. then you have to lift the, like, 40-pound stone mold 
uh, and try and dump the latex out into the bucket. And you're like, oh, yeah, this Mac, this head's enormous. You know? <laughs> um, but it's it's a pretty big head. But uh, before we go, for, uh, uh, hi, Billy. <laughs> Tom Spina joining us. I didn't know Tom was on here. That's great. Yeah, we, we snuck Tom yeah. in here. Tom's a friend of the show. And, of course, he was with us there that day uh, up on stage when you got the information that, that Bo Sheck was missing in action and needed to be found. And it's, it blows my mind to think of the uh, hamsters were running in the wheel in your head <laughs> as we, this panel was going down. And we're so grateful that you were actually in the audience and you know, here's a guy who's able to take his real world passions and skills and abilities and combine them with his passion for Star Wars and come up with a solid result. And that's what that's we got so earlier cool. this week. We finally know who Boshek is. He's Basil Tomlin. And uh, Tom, I mean, how long were you trying to crack this nut? Oh, uh, you know. I mean, ever since I first saw the, uh, I wouldn't say the people's eyebrow, I call it like the greaser's eyebrow. You know, <laughs> he's got that like 50s vibe going. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, he's, I, I think you guys really rightly point out, like this guy is sort of, there's there's all these little uh, key moments through the trilogy that if those uh, dominoes didn't fall in the right order, the story gets derailed. You know, he takes the job and all of a sudden it's a different movie, um, uh, you know, or whatever. So it's, it's, it's cool. He's one of these mysterious, uh, uh, cool looking guys. He's got a great spacesuit, and you of course want to go like, oh, well, who played him? And you would think like, all right, it's in the credits. No, it's not in the credits. Oh, okay. Well, it'll be in the production reports. Uh, nope, not in the production report. It'll be in the call sheet. Nope. He's not on the call sheet. You know, it's just that kind of thing where they just go through and, um, the the place where we did find his name ultimately he was his name was in uh, John Molo's notes um, where he scribbled some actors' names next to you know his sketches of of various costumes and things like that and there was one of them that said uh, blue spacesuit Basil Tomlin um, and mm. every time we had seen the Boshek sort of interpreted it was always either a black suit or even a green suit sometimes depending on the the interpretation and uh you just sit there and you just kind of go like all right well i that could be him but i mean you know there's a bunch of guys in spacesuits and who knows what the color they were planning on things to be before the uh before the shoot you know um and uh and not being able to turn up a picture of the guy, you couldn't say for sure that it's anyone. And so, you know, you just kind of go through the the list and you find uh, lists of extras that uh, that were in it. You hear people who uh, maybe they a friend who was in it or whatever. And uh, like like Billy said, we kind of he he came to me um, and uh, <laughs> sent a, an email sort of talking about the crimes that uh, he investigates and all of this stuff and. Uh, it's probably I, probably one of those kind of things where I think if it were anyone else or any other subject, it's kind of like the email you probably don't answer back. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. Hey, I do. Yeah, yeah. Well, because one of the stories I've written for Rolling Stone was about a guy that was caught killing kittens and then he ends up killing a person. So that was the one yeah. I sent him because it was it was it, part of it was solved by crowd solving. Right. So a guy out of the blue said, hey. I was watching you at Star Wars Celebration, which is kind of creepy in and of itself. And, and it made said, me think of this story, story I wrote about a guy who kills <laughs> kittens. And 
I want to try to help you solve this mystery. So yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so, I you know, and hey, you know, maybe maybe you're the Beauchamp story. Have you thought about that? <laughs> you know, if, if you weren't at that convention and I wasn't didn't decide to take up the case, you know, yeah. it's we'd still be wondering. So, exactly. so I, yeah. my question is this, guys. Billy, you wrap up your, your piece by saying you're talking with Tom Spina to try to get Tomlin the recognition he deserves within the Star Wars universe. That's a, that's a quote from your piece. Tom, what can we do to get I, the recognition? Yeah, I think uh, I think for starters, it's it's obviously ripe for maybe something on StarWars.com or whatever, just to kind of spread the word. But here's the funny thing: you know, I, he doesn't need anyone to get him the recognition anymore. Billy's done it. You know, if you True. look at how far this story's reached in just a couple of days, really, um, I, it's everywhere. <laughs> I mean, and not just like my Facebook feed, which is full of geeks. Um, and I say that with love and respect, um, but you know, it's, I turned it up on cinema blend and Yahoo news and, um, just, it seems like everywhere you turn, this thing is popping up and it's, it on, I mean, it's it was on really IO9. cool. It's it got so much AV traction. Club. Yeah. And, uh, Wikipedia has already been changed. I got I saw a that. message, got a message from a, uh, a, a, the rep, a representative from IMDB who's, who has fast tracked it. Awesome. Uh, he, he he now has his own IMDb page. Nice. They're trying to get a. They just needed the approval or the permission from his family to be able to use the picture. And oh, no. you know, and I've been talking to the family, saying, "What else do you have?" And then they were, you know, like like wonderful British people. They were very apologetic. We don't have very much about him in Star Wars. I was like, I don't care about Star Wars anymore. I just what need else him. You got? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. just need him and what he was about and what he did and anything else. And so they they are apparently so. Uh, the reason why it's taken so long is that the stuff is at the his daughter's house. So the the um, the um, oh, I think it's at, at the, his ex his wife's house. So the uh, the 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 daughter who is the uh, the mom of the guy of Barry who originally wrote me, she's going to the mom's house this weekend and hopefully oh, is going nice. to get us some more stuff. Nice. So as soon as I get that stuff and I've been talking to StarWars.com and they said, uh, yeah, as soon as you get all that stuff and yeah, know, I'll get over to that. Absolutely. Yeah. But absolutely. you can't get a better picture than that picture that they sent. Oh, Boy, oh boy, have you zoomed in on the picture? It's like yes. it's a band. It's almost like Yellow Submarine Beatles. I was just thinking that. What is I'm up with that shirt? I was just about to say it's very Yellow Submarines esque. It almost feels like I'm looking at Ringo and do, George. We need to do that shirt with the Cantina band oh my in God. that style. Yes. You know, like, but, and, and it, brilliant. And, Maybe with a larger collar, though. You know, because <laughs> this one's just a hair too small. I, yeah, yeah. I think he's also got sort of like a Carl Perkins vibe, like almost, you know, like a, a rockabilly uh, look yeah. there. So yeah, absolutely. It's, like, it's a rockabilly meets Carnaby Street, you know, it's like <laughs> Austin Powers era. You know, you know that he was, uh, it's just such a great vibe to him. And it was like, I can't tell you the three, and I, and, I, and Tom was the first person I sent the photo to. So, I, I was able to, you know, I opened it up and then I had to get on a plane, but I was so excited. And then I sent it to Tom and I was just like, at first I sent Tom a, a little teaser. I said, I have a good lead on Boshek. And he's like, whoa, cool. Let me know what you come up with. And then I sent it to him, uh, you know, about six o'clock that night. And he was like, he was oh. like, very cool. Yeah, I, <laughs> it's so, I mean, uh, it's weird. There's, there's a, uh, for starters. 
I, I talk to people all the time who like apologize for getting excited about stuff like this. And I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. Like, this is, <laughs> you are totally appropriate to be excited about this. This is extremely cool. Oh, this is uh, Star Wars archaeology. Are you kidding it me? Is, yeah, it's a long time in the making. And, you know, for a movie that is so like I feel like the bone should be picked clean by now. But we keep finding meat. Absolutely. (laughs) It might be an odd metaphor, but I'm just saying it. So, boys, what I I was originally saying was that, that, yes, we don't know who Lars Man is, but everybody has been asking me. Yeah. And, and well, let me let me let me let me see if you guys can guess. (laughs) Who does everybody want to know in the the trilogy, the original trilogy? Who do they want to find out? Who's the next person? Who's the mystery Bo- actor? Bochek was number one. Bochek right. was number one. And, and we know who played Dr. Evazan. We right? do. Right. Oh, yeah. Yep. We Alfie do know. Curtis. So, so mm-hmm. who, who else is the, who's Wait, the I mystery? Have, I have an idea. Do, yeah. we, do we know who played Ice Cream Man? That's the one uh, I'm talking about. That's Will it. Rowan. Will yeah. Rowan. Okay. Will All right. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So people have been pleading with me. They're like, please use your skills. <laughs> Right. You know what? for good. Yeah, yeah, I know what the face looks like, and uh, I think I'm gonna try that one. I've got a, I've got a few other like real crimes to work on. Right. <laughs> well, you know, but I don't think any of them are quite as impactful as is as, as, as this current mystery you're working on. And it's great that you found a niche. Finally, uh, you found a niche within the Star Wars community that uh, <laughs> definitely requires uh, to be filled. I mean, I mean, uh, well, who who else? is there i mean are there any more beyond the ice cream man I, uh, yeah I, you know i like to think of it as is that if i was going to be in the star wars universe i would be in that cantina i mean a journalist an investigative journalist yeah. would have been at a dark corner of that cantina interviewing somebody mm-hmm. or trying to get information Taking and that's notes. where i would have belonged for sure and nice. the fact that there are no journalists in the star wars universe there's no detectives in the star wars universe is like that's where i would have been and I would have been, you know, three drinks in just trying to just get grilling somebody for information. <laughs> so it's only it's only fitting that that's, you know, that that that's the mystery that I would have solved. Is is there a point where and I mean, I know I've found this a little bit and I wonder if you know, there, there's a point where getting some notoriety as either an aficionado of something or, you know, a collector of something or an expert on something where you almost become the wanted poster in a sense, and the information starts to find you. You know, uh, uh, uh-huh, I, Billy's uh-huh. a great example. You know, I mean, I just was an aficionado of the scene, and we did this great panel, and we've uh, done a bunch of stuff. And, you know, that pulled him out of the woodwork to me to get this started. And it's just kind of like, I, it wouldn't have happened uh otherwise and it's just, it's kind of neat it's like there it's almost like the wanted poster was there you know yeah um, oh, it's all it's i mean that's the great thing it's a great thing about life you know i don't have to yeah. get too too crazy about it but it yeah. was that was the it really was it was like that was the uh, i was telling uh pablo this uh, over twitter i was like you know you you guys were my call to adventure in a sense <laughs> sounds so dopey but it really was and it was just like yeah. i can't believe we don't know who this guy is <laughs> i'm gonna try and figure it out and it wasn't you know and i really want to stress too it was like i had so much help between uh tom and greg the kenny baker guy and Lori good and and all these people that you reach out to and, and that are part of it and they were all just so happy and you know, some of them were the autograph guys that were that that schedule the autograph people and the extras to try, you know, so a couple of them were kind of bummed that he was he had passed. But, uh, yeah. 
you know, I said, you know, we're going to grow some sideburns and uh, and and there head over to Europe and <laughs> have a have blue milk con. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> honor. Oh man! So I, I think I think we can all agree on what the coolest thing is about Bo Shack, right? We can all agree. I, oh, it's got to be the sideburns. Thank you, Tom. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> Got to be the burns. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And that's that's one of those things. Like, I, I really feel like when Rogue One goes up on the screen, when the lights go dark in that theater and that, that screen scrolls, as soon as that crawl is done, I expect sideburns. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> if this is supposed to take place around a new like, I If I'm not seeing sideburns, I'm going to be disappointed. I'm just yeah. putting it out there. Yeah, if Star Wars took place at least in our universe in May of 1977, right. this is, you know, Rogue One is taking place in, in uh, April of 1977. Right. And yeah, we're right. Some right on. Absolutely. Or at least punk. At least they're all like, look like the Ramones. That would be really cool, too. Oh, man. <laughs> well, Billy Jensen, you, you certainly uh, solved a, a longstanding mystery. We can, we can truly say now, loud and proud, Boshek is Basil Tomlin. Very cool. That's here, very here. cool. And we're saying it here on Rebel Force Radio, and we're spreading the word, just so his family can, you know, sort of bask in the fact that that they they had a, a, a family member that really contributed to one of the greatest films of all time. And, and Lord knows that they should uh, be able to appreciate that, uh, even though uh, Basil's no longer with us. Absolutely. Fantastic. Absolutely. Fantastic work, man. You are awesome. Billy, how can people get a hold of you? Uh, you can reach out to me at, uh, you know, go to my website, go to the contact page. It's, uh, www.billyjensen.com. You want to have me, if you have a cold case in your family that you want, want me to look at or any, uh, unsolved murder or anything like that, that's one of the things that I do. And, uh, um, you know, I'm just, uh, it, it, this has been a, this has been a really, really fun week, especially when you work on such, you know, I really work on, on pretty dark stuff and, uh, stuff that doesn't have a conclusion. Yeah. So this has been a, this has been a nice a nice kick for me. It's been fantastic. Well, that well, is we're glad awesome. to have you. All right. Well, thanks, guys. All right. Thank you. And thank you, Tom. Uh, it's my pleasure. It's always fun to chat with you guys, man. It sure is. And you're always full of surprises. So uh, thank you very much. And uh, as you say, the, uh, the bone you might think is picked clean, but certainly not. And certainly not when it comes to the cantina. Just keeps unraveling. And we'll just keep picking at it. Guys, right. guys we All can't right, wait guys. to hear who the ice cream maker man actually is. So we'll be staying tuned for that. All right. Sure. Take care, guys. Have a great one. All righty. Bye-bye. Good night. Rebel Force Radio. Rebel Force Radio. Rebel Force Radio. You know it, you love it. From Tops comes the digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. Yes, collect and trade over 1,000 officially licensed Star Wars digital cards. All of your favorite characters, vehicles, and locations from the Star Wars universe are here, including replicas of those amazing and iconic original 1977 top Star Wars trading cards to futuristic all-new cards with exciting digital twists. And of course, you can find exclusive content from the all-time Time U.S. box office champ Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Download it today in the App Store or in Google Play. And of course, we're using the Star Wars Card Trader app here at Rebel Force Radio. You can always trade with us here, twenty four seven, three hundred and sixty five days a year. Just search username 
Rebel Force Radio, and do it all from the comfort of your mobile device. It's the Tops Star Wars Card Trader app. These are the cards you're looking for. Now, if you'll recall, the novelizations, both the junior novelization and the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the hardback, the big one, by Alan Dean Foster. Well, I call it a hardback, but it's the, it's the adult novelization. They both came out uh, day and date with The Force Awakens back on December 18th, but they were only available as ebooks. Well, on February 16th, the junior novelization finally hits bookshelves, so you can physically get it in your collection. And it's written by Michael Kogi. Uh, Michael Kogi has written a lot of tie-in material, particularly with uh, Star Wars Rebels. We met him at Star Wars Celebration Anaheim. Jimmy, you hung out with him uh, there in Chicago not too long ago. Yeah, that's right. And he wouldn't say nothing about The Force Awakens last summer. Yeah, little did we know. He knew everything there was to know about it. He had the script, and uh, he was working on that novelization, uh, gosh, at that same time when you guys were together. Crazy. Uh, so we've got uh, Michael here in the cantina. So pull up a stool. Maybe you'll see Bo Sheck. Who knows? As we go into the cantina with Michael Kogi. Star Wars, Star Wars cantina. Where are you going, Master? For a drink. Sorry about the mess. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. <laughs> Hey, Michael. Hey, how are you? Good, man. Welcome back to Rebel Force Radio. How are you? I'm doing great. So the uh, paperback novel comes out next week uh, for The Force Awakens, the junior novelization. It's been out in uh, hardback form uh, since It's been out as an e-book, actually. Oh, it was an e-book. Yeah, it was, oh, a, it was okay. an e-book. Oh, okay, so it wasn't just the, um, the adult novel. It was the junior novel that was also released as an e-book. Right, right. Oh. Both the adult novelization and the junior novel were, were e-books. And actually, it comes out February 16th as both a deluxe hardcover and a paperback. Well, what's so deluxe about the hardcover? Tell us about it. I, I think it has some added photos uh, in it. I think it's sort of eight photos oh. or 16. I see here but, that it says a lock of Michael Coggy's hair. Is that <laughs> yeah. true? <laughs> yeah, it's scratch and sniff, right? It's your, uh, it's your Jedi braid. <laughs> well, this is good because yeah. I've always been looking for a way to clone you, Michael, and now I finally got it. That's how you do it. That's <laughs> Star Wars for you. But you know what? It's funny because over the summer when you came into Chicago and we got the chance to hang out for a while, Michael, you had revealed to me, I hope I can say this, that you had been working on the junior novelization and that you... So I was in the presence of someone at that point in time who had actually known what the events were to take place in The Force Awakens. And this is like four months before the film was released. And so, I mean, I was like in awe of you at that moment. It's like, wow, oh my God, he knows everything that happens in the movie. So number one... How hard was it for you to keep your mouth closed? Because you did keep your mouth closed, much to my chagrin. And uh, number two, um, where is this junior novelization going to take us? Are we going to go beyond the film? Well, uh, some good questions there, Jimmy. In, in fact, yeah, I thought you were you were great. You were very polite, and you, you, you didn't really ask or anything, so... Uh... I do remember some. Was it some girl at the at the signing, and she asked about Han Solo, 
Uh, do you remember that question at ooh, the bookstore? Ooh, I don't. I wasn't considering Han as much. And, and like I said, I was trying to put myself in this this place, this personal place that where I was surrounded myself in this bubble of blissful ignorance. And yeah, you know, most people listening are like, well, that's how he always is. But, <laughs> but, but in all honesty, that was the only way I could protect myself from asking you every question under the sun at that moment. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's, uh, I, I guess when you look at it as when you're, when you're so involved and you're in the middle of it, yeah. uh, and you're so close to it, 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 it's it's actually not hard to not talk about it because I don't like to talk about my own projects when I'm writing them, right. uh, in, until I'm done with them and and they're ready. So uh, I that, I guess that's the approach I took. You know, I, I hadn't finished the I was writing the novelization. I th- I believe uh, when I went out on the on the book tour, I was still working on it. So it was it wasn't kind of a final a final process, you know job yet. And I could of course I couldn't talk about it either. But uh, generally, that's that, that that was my approach. So what about the girl at the book signing who was asking about Han Solo? Yeah, I th- I think she I remember, if I remember right, there was a uh middle school girl maybe maybe 12 years old. Uh and then she she rose her hand and she asked about rumors she had read on the internet if certain people did certain things in the film. And <laughs> we've all seen the movie now, Michael, you can say. You can say. Yeah, well, I don't I don't want to ruin it still. Yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. I'll be the guy. Han dies <laughs> in Dude. the movie, and I'm assuming he dies in your book. Though I would love it if he didn't. Well, you, you know, you never know. You know, that's for readers to decide, I guess. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I just remember her asking that question about the fate of Han Solo, and I, I said, I, you know, I really don't know. I, I, I remember that very well. Uh, and, and <laughs> so you, you lied. Me, you I, lied to I, the girl. You couldn't say, "Well, I really can't say." <laughs> Well, that would be a tip. That would be a tip. Would it be a tip? I guess it would be. Yes, it would be. I can't say. So your only choice, Michael, was to lie to this sweet girl. Yes, I had to. Well, I I don't think I I hope I didn't lie. I just uh, kind of avoided the question uh, as best (laughs) I could. Uh, (laughs) And I think you looked at me a little bit uh, during during one of those questions. But then another another kid uh, promptly picked up the – he picked up the – the, the conversation. He said, Oh, so you invented star Wars. Do you guys remember that? <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 I, 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 I like that quite a bit. I was, 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 that was that a common question that was being asked of you uh, on your book signing <laughs> tour? Right. Yeah, that was, that, that was a calming question to, to be given credit for something <laughs> as great as star Wars. I, I was, yeah, I, I really liked that one. I thought that was funny, but I, so the, the novelizations, uh, the, the paper editions actually have added scenes that aren't in the ebook, uh, because it, it, it took a while for, you know, it takes a while to print the book and the book was being worked on right up until the end of the, uh, the, the release of the film. So I think they were finalized actually the day before the film, uh, came out. So it's amazing. So, so Michael, when you're working on a project, <clears throat> excuse me, that is, uh, that its first incarnation is going to be a digital uh, release. Do you get more time as an author to make the changes and the alterations that you need? Uh, not really. No, no. Uh, because it has to go through many different layers of approval. Right. Oh, I see. Uh, so, and because of a movie like, you know, the force awakens where, uh, 
you know, they're they're really concerned with making everything uh, an authentic Star Wars experience and being authentic to the movie. Uh, and then it needs to, you know, it also needs to be approved and edited. And then if you have an ebook version, there's another team that does a digital edition. Then there's the print edition uh, group. Uh, it, I, I believe it went all the way up to the top, actually, uh, both Alan's book and, and, and my book in terms of approvals. So I, I think that's that's why... They, they have such time, but I was still working on it because I was, uh, there, there were changes that were happening and I was, you know, of course, uh, making those changes in the manuscript. So when you say it goes all the way up to the top, I mean, are we supposed to imagine a specific person or department? Uh, what's yeah, the- well, you, you know, I, 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 I don't, I don't know because I, that's just what I was told. I, I, I don't try to ask questions too much when you're when you're working on a project like this because you uh, you don't know who you might be reading it. Right. Uh, but but I, I was told that the t- the top people in Lucasfilm, you know, of course, they want to make sure this is good, so they approved it. Up to the top, I like to think it's J.J. Abrams sitting there reading your book. I wouldn't that be wonderful? It, that's what I imagine too. Late one night after he's finished an editing session, he's sitting down with a cup of uh, coffee and, and, and reading uh, the Force Awakens junior novelization. <laughs> or, or or he's in the John. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a great place for it too. Right, of course. Uh, Michael, did you and uh, Alan ever ever chat while you were writing your respective books? Did you ever have to call him and say, what, "Did you read this? What do you think?" I, you know what? I met Alan. Uh, I had lunch with Alan at San Diego Comic Con, and uh, I told him I was doing the junior book, and he had already finished the the novelization uh, in June, one of the drafts, and I'd read it, uh, and we we talked just uh, you know just a little bit about approach but i didn't really ask him much about the story i I wanted to do my own my own version of it uh and i and i I, the approach i took jimmy was uh, jimmy uh, is jason there too yeah it's me yeah yeah yeah. there's two of us okay great yeah yeah yeah. uh the approach i took was to to kind of take it from the kids point of view to really concentrate on the kids and then also han and kylo ren so i i kind of took the moments of the film that made sense to me that were really part of uh, ray's journey finn's journey uh and you know han's journey and, and, and kylo ren's journey and and that's where i concentrated my efforts on the book so in alan's novel you'll see you know some other scenes with the first order and such, but it, it, I, I kind of focus uh, the the story for my for my junior novel. Now, do you get that direction uh, from the folks at Disney or Lucasfilm saying, "Okay, for the for the junior novel, we really want this to be told, say, through the eyes of so and so," or do you read the script and say, "You know, I think for my audience, the age group, they're really going to relate to this character." How do you decide that? Great question. You know, I, you know, I think uh, Lucasfilm they, they suggested it, and that that was the same idea that I had. Uh, so it was. I think the, 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 there's no 
you know, there was no like you have to do it this way. They want the best work you can give them. So I, you, you, and you're, you, of course, you want the same. So you do it the way you think is appropriate. And they they agreed with what I wanted to do, and that's how I uh, approached the uh, the screenplay. And I, I did get to add some things that aren't in the novelization and aren't in the film. They asked me for the uh, the print edition to to kind of expand the story a little bit, especially with the uh, the younger characters. So I was able to do that. There's a scene with Ray in her uh, in her walker home uh, that connects with uh, the, I guess it's called Before the Awakening book by Greg Rucka. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's a scene with Finn uh, preparing with his Stormtrooper friends uh, for the mission to Jakku. So that happens. It's kind of a prelude to the movie. Ah. Um, there's even a, my, one of my favorite scenes in the book uh, is was an added scene, and it's uh, you go into Chewie's head after Han Solo passes. Wow. And, and you go, in what, what is he doing at that time? Uh, he's walking he right by Leia as if nothing happened. That's what he's doing. Right? <laughs> Michael, well, Michael, why did you think, why do you think, before we get it back into Chewie's head. Let's really get into his head. Why do you think Chewie walked past Leia and did not even acknowledge her when he returned to Dakar after the death of Han Solo and the defeat of Starkiller Base? You know, I I, I, I don't know. I, I didn't I didn't really bump on that moment. No. Uh, but I, I guess I guess he did, didn't he? <laughs> well, don't you think it's on that? Yeah, I mean Chewie and and Leia, they have this long, you know, decades long relationship, and Leia, they don't even share eye contact. Leia instead approaches and hugs a young girl she's never met before, as far as we know. Well, you, you know what? Here's the deal. I mean, Chewie won. He, he, it was, Han Solo was in the middle, there was Leia, he was married to Leia, and there was Chewie on the other end, and, you know, Chewie got him back out, uh, uh, gallivanting again around the galaxy, so I guess in the, in the relationship battle, Chewie won, you could look at it that way. So are we, are we a little bit upset. So we're dealing. (laughs) I don't know, that's just. (laughs) So we're dealing with a threes a crowd situation here. (laughs) Chewie's the last one standing, that's the thing? Yeah. Wow. I, I I always I did. Do you think bring about this out little, in the novel, Michael? Is this a little subplot <laughs> no, going on? That's, that's just my own supposition, I guess. But I I did see it a little bit that way, where you know the relationship between Han and Chewie is so strong that in many ways they're a married couple too. You know, or they're just really they're they're very 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 uh, close friends. You know, in in. And I, I think that that relationship it was a fundamental relationship of, of A New Hope. And, you know, that's what Han Solo, when he's confronted with with all this, uh, you know, all this stuff that just basically destroys his relationship with Leia, uh, Leia he goes back to who he was. And, uh, and he goes back to Chewie. So let's get into Chewie's head a little bit. After the death of Han Solo, um, you know, if there's any sort of criticism I might level onto um, The Force Awakens is the fact that I don't think that they really gave us that moment where the characters were truly grieving the death of Han Solo. We got a little glimpse of Chewie sort of sulking. Uh, We we saw Leia. She was uh, definitely uh, affected by this, but I don't think we got that big moment. So 
assuming that we're getting into Chewie's mind here, and, you know, we of course we can't interpret what he ever says, so we only go off of body language from Chewbacca to begin with, purely, unless we have a character translating what he said. Um. What is Chewie feeling when Han dies? Without revealing too much from from your novelization, what, what's going on in his head? Well, you know, I, I felt like the novel, this was the area to do that. I mean, the, the film the film doesn't have, the film's already two hours and, what, 16 minutes, something like that. And it, and it, it actually doesn't have time to, to have an extended, uh, you know, a, scene of anguish. And, yeah, you know, Star so. Wars... Star Wars generally doesn't do that, the Star Wars films. Even when Obi-Wan Kenobi dies, there's just a Lucas no, and, and, then, and then he runs back onto the Falcon. Uh, no, you do have that moment when, when Leia, conf- she comforts Luke. He's sitting by the, the, the Sabacc table, and he just says, I can't believe he's gone. You know, you get that moment there where, where a character is, is, is verbally expressing their... They're distraught at the situation. I don't think we got that in, in The Force Awakens. Yeah, well, in that sense, I, I added it to the book. And I, I, I gave Leia a little moment, too, a little more extended moment, where she she actually leaves uh, the resistance uh, with the control room, and she goes into her quarters, and she reflects on what just what happens. And Ooh. she knows that Han's dead, and she can feel it through the Force, right? And how is she going to lead... The galaxy now, what is she going to do? And her brother's gone. So she's lost everybody. She's lost her brother, her son, and her husband, and Alderaan. I mean, poor Leia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's great. Uh, and, well, for, and for Chewie, I, when I was writing the scene, um, and it was a scene that I had intended, actually, to try to add to the original ebook. Uh, but I, I didn't. I didn't have. I didn't have the time to do it. So when they asked for for additional material, I this was one of the the areas I expanded. Um, I, I I was I was quite moved because I was thinking of everything uh, that Chewie and Han, all the adventures they had gone through, and I was thinking about, of course, the the movies, but I was also thinking about the radio plays, uh, their relationship in in those. I was thinking about the old. Han Solo and uh, Chewie, the, the Han Solo Adventures by Brian Daly. You know, they're not canon, but uh, those those adventures and and how their relationship was formed uh, through those experiences, they, they informed what I was doing in uh, in writing Chewie. And 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 I, that, those are the things that were in my mind. They're not a, they're not in the book, but those were part of the. Uh, they, they helped me get to the emotion of of how Chewie was feeling for for just watching his friend uh, die. Michael, w- was there a point when you were putting this together that you actually needed to go? You you mentioned uh, the folks at the top were reading this. Was there a point where you had to go back to the top and say, you know, I'm not clear on this because you didn't have. I'm guessing you didn't have much in terms of visual, right? You just had. The screenplay, did they give you some production artwork or something to kind of paint the picture for you? Did you need anything else beyond the screenplay? Uh, I, I read the screenplay, and uh, I, I had a couple of visuals. Uh, and I, I received visuals actually after I wrote the, uh, the original draft. Uh, so I could, I could kind of com- compose, you know, add more description to it. Uh, but 
and it was it was okay. The the screenplay was was good, and you know, part of the part of the challenge of of doing a, an adaptation now of a screenplay or a movie is that everything is so guarded uh, that they you you almost have to kind of read between the lines to figure out uh, some of the, the the spatial detail of what you're writing about. Uh, and you look for everything you can in the screenplay to to inform you. And usually, I mean, Alan did the same thing. We we were right most of the time uh, as to locations or or scenes or or visuals. And uh, then we were provided a little bit more information to to flesh out any other moments that we needed to. So that's what that's what I I, I did. I know I know with Maz Kanata scene. I uh, I asked about the, the the names of the aliens. I didn't know if they had been named yet, but I, I kind of wanted to to give add add that kind of Katina vibe to that scene. So and Lucas one provided gave me the names for the the new alien species. So that that was fun to to be able to to add those to the to that scene. Were there any specific aliens that stood out to you that? you really wanted to focus on and, and who were they? I, I didn't, I didn't focus on anyone in particular, I guess I just mentioned them, but I, I really like those, I guess they're like, uh, yetis, you know, they're, what are they called? The Hask triplets. Yes. And they're, they're kind of like these yeti creatures with these beak faces. I, I, I thought they were, they were really cool. And then there are the minions. Uh, they look like the minions right. in the back somewhere. Yes. Uh, I don't know. I don't remember what they're called, but they, that was fun to, to just add, drop, drop, name drop them in the scene. You know, I found it interesting. You mentioned that you were, you were approached, you were asked to actually expand on certain scenes or actually expand on the story. Were there certain sequences which they specifically said, can you add a little more here? Can you add a little more there? Well, they it was more of a uh you you know, where do you think it would fit and what do you think would fit? They did ask for one scene to be added. They asked for uh the the scene where Poe is is rescued by the by the alien in he's it's in the novelization and uh it wasn't in the movie. But they asked me to kind of do my own scene uh, of so Alan Alan wrote that out of whole cloth, and then I kind of took what he wrote and uh, did my own version on that. So that's that's one of the scenes they did ask about. So let me get let me see if I have the sequence down properly here. It's when Poe has been ejected from the the Tie Fighter as it crashes down into the the sand plains on Jakku. Um, mm-hmm. We see. Finn. We see what happens to Finn after that moment, but we don't see what happens to Poe. Poe has a little adventure there on Jakku until he he gets off planet, and that involved waving down speeding sand speeders and and locals who uh, confronted him along the way. That's how I read it in the novelization. Is that how it plays out in your book? Yeah, it plays out the same way. Yeah. uh... He meets the alien, um, and he goes for a little. They goes for a little ride. They meet some some other kind of disreputables uh, on Jakku. They uh, fly away from them, and then he gets he finds a way off planet. So, hey, I, I think it's great in the in the uh, novelization that they they have a moment where we see what actually happens to Poe and, right. and how he survives the Tie Fighter uh, crash. And and what's what's interesting in the movie. It just he's just back on the planet, 
And you know what? It works, too. Uh, you almost don't need that scene in the film. So I think they, they got it right in the movie. You know, my dad, I took him to see the movie earlier this week. He had not seen it yet. And for some reason, he really connected with Poe. And he kept asking me along the way, is he coming back? Is that other guy? What's, it, what's that actor's name? <laughs> Who is that? Who is that actor? Is he coming back? My dad somehow, he connected with Poe. So if you had that scene in there, it would have stopped him from from getting in my ear while I was trying to enjoy the movie earlier this week. But, uh, <laughs> but no, um, that, that's, that's really interesting that, that, um, that sequence got cut from the film. I, I don't know. Was it ever actually filmed? Was it part of one of their fine, their, their, their cuts of the film and, and it just got removed I, from, from the editing. From what Alan told me, he, he came up with it himself. That, that ah. scene, he was, he was asked to come up with it. So he came up with it, but I don't want to speak for Alan. I mean, I, I'm just, uh, and then I, I used what was in his novelization to, uh, to write for the junior novel. So he had to keep quiet for a real long time. And you've been working yeah. on this, yeah, right? And I know you wanted <laughs> to talk about it. I, I know you have a professional edge, and and I don't deny that for a second. But I also know that Michael, you are a hardcore Star Wars fan, and it must have been. I am a super hardcore fan too. I know. Yeah. One of the things I was I was blessed with too when I was I worked at Lucasfilm in the summer of 1998, right. and I was able to see kind of a rough cut of the Phantom Menace. So that kind of knowing what happened in the Phantom Menace a year before, and then the force awakens a couple, you know, six months before its release, it just seemed to kind of, the trilogy was complete in a way, you know, the circle was complete. It just seemed to, to fit. Uh, but it, yeah, it's, it, it, you're really happy to, to, to know what happens, but at the same time, you know, I went into the movie and I was uh, moved by certain moments. I, 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 I remember seeing the last sequence uh, with where Luke Skywalker is in his druid robes, right? Yes. You finally see his face. And uh, my, my wife, tur- she turns to me and she goes, are you crying? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I was. Oh. You know, and you and knew it generally- was coming. You knew it was coming. Like, what? But I, it's, it was 30 or 40 years of, of waiting for the return of Luke Skywalker, you know, and there he was finally. And I, I was just, oh, my God, it was that the last sequence of the film, The Force Awakens, is to me uh, just amazing. It, it really it really pushed my emotional trigger. I don't know about you guys. But oh, as no, a super hardcore right. fan to see Luke again and finally again, it's just amazing. Michael, um, one of the more, I would guess, complicated sequences to communicate in a written form would be Ray's dream, Ray's vision. How did you, um, how did you tackle that? Yeah, it was, it, it, it was complicated. And uh, I, I just wrote the images that they that was that they were in the screenplay, you know, and I just took it like that. It, it was because I, I don't know, like, like you guys, uh, I, I don't know anything that's going to happen in the future. So I just went off what I was feeling. You don't have the episode eight script. No, no. <laughs> You're sitting on that. Yeah, yeah. I'm sitting on that, that baby. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm as, I'm as excited, uh, 
and I have my own, of course, ideas, but uh, to, to as to what happens. But yeah, I just took it as what what was provided to me in this in the screenplay, and uh, who knows what some of those images are. I'm 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 kind of wondering myself. Michael, well, if you don't know, we don't. <laughs> That's for sure. Hey, Michael, when you finally sat down in that theater and you saw the film for the first time, you, you revealed that you were emotionally touched by the end with Luke Skywalker, and I'm right there with you, man. And, and even knowing the film as well as I do, I've seen it, gosh, eight times now. Uh, when I saw it earlier this week, that moment when Luke appears on the screen, it affected me emotionally still. I mean, I, I know the story. You knew the story going into it. What other moments in the film really affected you as someone who was intimately aware of all the plot points and all the circumstances revolving around the story? What still struck you, hit the nerves as a Star Wars fan who was in the know? You know the, the the stuff that resonated for me yeah. were the uh, the scenes with uh, a little bit of the Han and Chewie dialogue. I I, I, I like that quite a bit. I thought Ray growing up on Jakku. Um, I like that the first moment where she pops up with her goggles. I just think that's a great moment. Um, I, I like John Boyega. I like his performance. Mm-hmm quite a bit i think he's he's just really um a strong uh a, st- a strong actor as is daisy ridley i mean whoever found her uh it's just an amazing casting decision i think um i i also like uh, i'm trying to think over the moments in general I, I like the little moments like where where ray is making making that bread in uh, in her little walker you know stuff like that oh, these, I, I love that <laughs> these little these little character moments you're yeah. talking about moments uh involving chemistry between the actors or the characters themselves you're talking about just these little beats along the way that you know i mean all of us were looking for major plot revelations, huge character development, and advancement of the story on a whole. But as a fan who was aware of all of that going into it, you're looking at all these little moments along the way. And these are moments that, in my opinion, really elevate Star Wars to another level. These are the intangibles that are so important to include into a Star Wars film that a lot of us fans kind of take for granted. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, th- there is a moment actually, uh, two moments that I think that uh, that re- resonate with me when I'm talking about it. Uh, one of them is is uh, Kylo Ren looking at the mask of Darth Vader, and this was in the trailers, of course. Mm-hmm. But that mask, the way they they burned that mask and they they melted it, uh, and the ashes underneath it, I I think. You know, it's just an echo from the previous trilogies. The ghost of Darth Vader lives on. You know, his his story is still part of the Force Awakens, as is Luke. Uh, so I, I, I really like I, I like those little touches. I thought that was a great touch. I also uh, and I read this in the screenplay, and I, I remember being, I'm like, wow, this is this is well written. This moment uh, where Han and Leia they first see each other, and it's been you know. 
an amount of time. I don't know how many years or months, months or whatever, but she's like, you, is that the same jacket? He's like, or new jacket? He's like, no, same jacket. Uh, I, I thought that moment they captured their, their relationship uh, as to where it stood so well and so clearly and so succinctly. You know, that, that scene must be 30 seconds, maybe a little bit less, 20 seconds long. But you know, you suddenly know the whole history between them uh, just in a, in a couple of lines and a, a couple of looks. And I think that's just a, a, a great, a great moment. And it, it felt like that on the screenplay too. Yeah. That's Lawrence Kasdan for you right there. Yeah, completely. I, and, and I like as someone who, you know, grew up also reading star Wars, uh, their relationship in this version of the universe, the Canon version is, is different. You know, this is a, this is a relationship that didn't work out. Uh, and there's a melancholy, <laughs> Uh, to this version of Star Wars. Uh, there's a sadness, you know, that you can change the universe, you can beat the Empire, and yet it doesn't fix everything. Mm. Michael, we um, we had a, a quote from uh, George Lucas. Uh, I believe it was actually part of an old interview he did with Robin Williams as part is, uh, of a series of shows Robin did on uh, Audible.com. And in this interview, George said that he felt that written Star Wars, the book versions, um, literary Star Wars, uh, is very, very difficult. He says it's hard to capture uh, Star Wars in, uh, in text. What do you think are, you know, you've written a lot. You've written for Star Wars Insider. You've written novelizations, tie-ins. Um, you've written some of the uh, in-universe stuff. What do you think are some of the, 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 the big mistakes that people can make when they're, when they're writing Star Wars? And, what, um, and how do you kind of overcome that? Hmm. Well, I think all, all fans have their own understandings of the universe and they have their own uh, – like what they like and what they don't like. Uh, I, I think as a writer, uh, the, one of the challenges of Star Wars is the writing the action – um, because on the, on the, on the screen, by gosh, you can, you can do everything with spaceships. Uh, you can do everything with laser bolts, but when you're writing, I find, and I find this with, when reading action scenes sometimes in, in science fiction or genre fiction, uh, action that goes on too long or fighting that goes on too long, I tend to lose, lose focus because it's just, it, it doesn't have the same, it doesn't have the same energy that it does in you know television or film. I don't know if you guys would agree with that. Oh, definitely. Uh, I, I, I'm I'm in awe when I read, uh, particularly the original trilogy novels, um, one by, of course, Alan Dean Foster. I'm in awe when I read uh, how succinctly and well the trench run and, and and so the space battles and some of the lightsaber battles are written because it's yeah. it's very very difficult. You know, there's a grimace, there's a grunt, you know, that you can tell visually and audibly. Um, but I would imagine, you know, once you run out of words for, you know, saber struck, saber pierced, you know, you're going to yeah. the, the snap hiss, right? Yeah. <laughs> How many times? <laughs> How many times, guys? Juking and, and ducking, and, and especially for, for X-Wing, X-Wing starfighter battles. Uh, those can be your, your vision. You're trying to visualize it yourself as a writer and you're you want to give the clearest idea of what's going on in the battle for the reader. You don't want to bore the reader. Um, 
and you have to you know you have to raise make sure the stakes are high enough uh, to make this battle worthwhile. Uh, it, it it can be you know it's it's tough. Uh, it, it, that's that's an area where I, I put a lot of time into into working the action scenes, um, but I also want to get to the character too because as a writer that's what what really grabs me and as a reader too I, I, I want to know what's going on with the character what does he think how does he feel how does she feel uh, how are they going to react to a situation and is there you know is their life or their profession or their career at, at stake at this moment if it's not how do I make sure the drama is appropriate to the scene? Mm-hmm. Uh, and how do I make sure the conflict is interesting? Those are all the things that I go through, even when adapting a screenplay. Uh, I, 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 because that's when you're you're writing in prose, you have to you have to do that. Otherwise, it's just going to read like a transcript. And and you went through this entire process, and you considered each and every story beat that was revealed to you in the screenplay. My question is, when you saw the film, finally, after all this time, you got to sit down and watch the completed, fully edited version. Was there anything that maybe surprised you a little bit? Absolutely. I was, you know, I I, I went to a uh, a little preview screening a a few days before the film uh, that Lucasfilm gave to to certain people uh, here in L.A., and it was it was wonderful. It was one of the best screen experiences of my life. First of all, just to be around all these people who might have worked on the film, or they were uh, they were on the Clone Wars, or they were super fans, or they were somehow associated with Lucasfilm. There was just such a great energy in the air. It was at the Disney El Capitan Theater. It was fantastic, and um, the humor that came out. Uh, in the movie and in the screening, people were laughing. They were having a great time. I was I was quite charmed by the humor of the movie because, I, and I think some of those lines had been added maybe in in post production a little bit. Yes, uh, I don't remember seeing them in the screenplay, uh, but I really liked it. I really liked the performances. Some of the line readings, of course, that you have in your head when you're adapting, aren't the way the actor actually read them in in the movie. Uh, so what's what's like, a good example oh, of wow. that, Michael? Do you have a good example of of that circumstance? Oh, you know, ah, uh, what was it? Yeah, I think it was between Poe and Finn. Uh, I and I I I don't I can't quote it at the moment, guys. I'm sorry, I don't remember. But you, you know what I think? If if I could maybe put myself in your shoes, a, a situation where I don't think the humor would have necess- necessarily come through in the script is right before Balatik and the Guavians board Hans Freider. Hans says. Uh, what am I going to do about this? I'm going to talk my way out of it, just like I always do. And then Chewie barks up to him. He says, yes, I do, every time. I think there's a lot of humor there in Harrison Ford's delivery that may be lost on paper. Yeah, well, his performance adds an extra level. I mean, I was laughing at that line, and I knew about it. Uh, and, I, and I still laugh at that line. That's such a great line. And, and also just Chewie. Chewie is so funny in this movie, too, isn't he, guys? Yes, I mean, yes. Yeah. He's always bobbing his head and like adding jokes and, and the shrugs, uh, the great. shoulder shrugs were just classic. Shoulder shrug, yeah, yeah. Uh, that I, I also had this. I I really like Harrison Ford's uh, new evocation of Han Solo. Like this is 
this seems Han Solo by the way by the way of California, you know, and he's been in California for forty years, and <laughs> he's kind of an I don't he felt like this kind of old hippie uh, auto repair guy, you know. I don't know if you guys <laughs> had that it. feeling with no, his no, performance. I get but... I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying because it's almost like he's been enlightened. Um and uh yeah. and 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 how do hippies get enlightened? Well, it's it's years and years of uh hanging out and considering uh some of the greater aspects of the universe. And I I think I think that's exactly <laughs> that's one way to put it. <laughs> I think that's exactly what Han was going through at that time. Yeah, that's how I I felt it uh when I was uh when I was watching the film. I I really liked that because I didn't I didn't have that I never had that feeling of Han Solo before, uh, and you don't you don't see that he just brings a different level uh, to to the character that he I don't he didn't have in uh, Return of the Jedi or, or uh, the original trilogy I think. Well, Michael, we could talk to you all night. This I been, could. This man. has this been so great much fun, <laughs> uh, and and I'm so glad that it's guys like you that are that are you know expounding on these on these stories because uh, not only are you obviously a very talented writer, you know your craft, but the fact that you're a fan and you understand what it's like to be a fan, and uh, and also just the fact that you were able to sit on that secret yeah. of knowing this for so long and and boldface lie to that young girl. In uh, <laughs> Chicago, it's incredible. But uh, you know, it's it's always such a privilege to to do a Star Wars book because you know I got a, I got an email today from from a kid, nine year old kid in uh, I think in Iowa, and just talking about the Star Wars books. It's and it's such an honor, it's such a privilege to write Star Wars because you touch an audience uh, that is so wide and uh, they're they're just so into uh the material just like i am and i i always take it that you, you never know if you're gonna ever be able to write another you know star wars book or so you gotta you gotta throw everything you have into it and to be able to to be involved in episode seven i mean to say episode seven right <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Is wow. I mean, wow. <laughs> you know, I think I'll have that movie on my shelf with all my other Blu rays and DVDs, and I'll still not believe that it exists. Yeah, I know. I, it I doesn't still... feel like it, it because we, we didn't we just say it was yeah. never going to happen? Right? Never, never going right. to happen. Well, not only did it happen, but you wrote the novel for crying out loud. Um, Michael, and just thanks so much for being here. The website is uh, Michael. And by the way, have I uh, been pronouncing that right? Is it Kogi or Kagi? You got it right, Kogi the first time. Kogi, yeah. all right, and, great. And my, my website's at uh, michaelkogi.com. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-K-O-G-G-E.com. And I've written the Star Wars Rebels books in addition to the Force Awakens uh, junior novel. I just uh, – it's coming out the same day as the uh, Force Awakens novelization. I did the Batman versus Superman original companion novel for the, the new movie. That's really exciting. I get to tell my own story uh, that's a little bit of a prequel to the film. So, but uh, is that a, is, so this is another upcoming major blockbuster that you've known about for a long time and you can't talk about? Yeah, another one. <laughs> Yeah, it, it it all happened in the same. While I was writing the Force Awakens, everything happened at once. You oh, know, you, yeah. I was in a I was in a cyclone of writing <laughs> for for a while. Well, you're getting uh, good at this. 
He yeah, is. well, th- thanks so much. And then I also have Empire of the Wolf 2, an original uh, graphic novel. If you like ancient Roman werewolves, uh, people should <laughs> check it out. It's on at empireofthewolf.net, and it's published by Alterna Comics. Oh, uh, those crazy ancient Roman werewolves. I, I got to tell you, uh, Michael, I was I'm very impressed with that graphic novel. Excellent stuff. Well, thank you so much, Jimmy. And thank right. you so much, Jason, too. Thanks, Oh, guys. you're welcome, man. All right, yeah. take care, and uh, we'll be uh, talking to you soon, hopefully. Absolutely. Good luck with right, the guys, release. Good force be with you. And you. This is Carrie Fisher. Hey, Jake Lloyd here. Hello, this is Warwick Davis, and you're listening to Rebel Force Radio. Now this is podcasting. This is Anthony Daniels, and they asked me to throw in an ad lib, but they didn't throw in any money, so I'm not going to throw in anything else. Goodbye. Hey, it's James Arnold Taylor, the voice of Obi-Wan Kenobi, and I must tell you, the source for the Force is Rebel Force Radio, your source for the Force. Hey, it's Mark Hamill, that Skywalker guy from those space movies. Rebel Force Radio, what an unfortunate moniker. For yourself to listen i have more to say about boshak <laughs> <laughs> he's such a specimen of the 70s he I mean, is just there's, like, there's two people who are very the like the most 70s people in the original star wars there's two yeah, people boshak boshak is number one and the other <laughs> one is the imperial officer who says tk421 why aren't you at oh, your post yes that guy is yes. so 70s well you know and baru a bit. Baru with that, that big butterfly-collared blouse of hers. I mean, there's nothing otherworldly about the way Baru is dressed. I mean, with Owen, he's got, you know, the, the outlander or the, you know, the farmer gear. Yeah. The, the robes. Uh, I mean, he, basically, he's wearing Jedi robes, really. Yes, yeah. I mean, that's... that. Well, but but, but, but uh, Baru, I mean, she looks like she just, you know, came out of the Kmart there in the 70s. That is a, that is very Kmart. It's a blue light special, right? There. It, it is. She probably had it on layaway. It, do you think in Tatooine though they have two blue lights in the store? Like <laughs> double blue light special. What else would they have double of? Suppose all their traffic lights are doubled up too. When you figure the whole system is. Hey, you know there was an interesting thing brought up on uh, the Rebels Recon. Just kind of made me think, Jim. You know how you know we have different time zones. You and I were separated by an hour. Yeah. And uh, somebody wrote in to Pablo and said, "Well, I don't get it. Is it in the Star Wars universe and the physics and all of that?" And and Pablo said. There's a simul... I think he called it simultaneity <laughs> in Star Wars so that if it's Tuesday at 5 o'clock on Tatooine, it's also Tuesday at 5 o'clock on Coruscant. And I... You know, I've never challenged that. I've never thought that that was weird until now. <laughs> I mean, my gosh, you and I were separated by a couple of states. These are systems that are separated by light years perhaps it's very interesting i i just question the canonicity of anything pablo tweets um <laughs> i you know i mean are pablo's look, tweets canon i don't think so folks so stop telling me that they are they're <laughs> tweets oh my gosh oh big thanks to michael Kogi. Uh, for joining us in the cantina, the young adult novelization of The Force Awakens on store shelves Tuesday. That's February 16th. 
Also, thanks to Billy Jensen and Tom Spina. That was a lot of fun. And uh, mystery solved. Bo check. In this episode. Sorry, Jim. <laughs> Uh, and a huge thank to our sponsors, uh, the new one, uh, the new guys here on the block for us, Loot Crate. Also, Little Debbie, they've been around and supporting us for a long time. We so appreciate it. Little Debbie Snack Cakes. Also, our friends at Tops and their Star Wars Card Trader app. And how about Dorkside Toys? Go to Dorkside Toys for the latest and greatest in Star Wars toys, Marvel. They got all the big franchises there. Tell them Rebel Force Radio sent you. Here's how you do it. Go to rebelforceradio.com, click on the Dorkside banner, and they'll know. They'll know how you got there. If you'd like to play with this in between shows, show at rebelforceradio.com is the email address and the voicemail line 708 1737. That's 708 321 RFR. You can follow us on Twitter at Rebel Force Radio, at Jimmy Mac Radio, at Jason Swank. By the way, after hearing my dad on Twitter. Oh my god! I think that the, the the man you can just tell is just wisdom waiting to be shared. Well, there's no doubt about that. But when it comes to hashtags and my dad, forget about it. <laughs> of course, everything would just kind of be run out. You just get the dot 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 at the end of it because he would just keep going. I'm sure. But Maybe. I want to hear that joke. <laughs> he could just tweet those jokes. <laughs> the joke. Uh, hey, don't forget about our official website, rebelforceradio.com. As I said, still taking the cellophane wrapping off parts of it, including... Oh, uh, this is big news. Big news. We have a store. The official Rebel Force Radio store is open for business. We've got t-shirts. We've got mugs. We've even got a ladies' cut t-shirt. Jim, my wife asked me for one. I kid you not. Wow. Unsolicited. I think goes, why don't I have one? I think we're starting to notice a shift here. With Deborah Swank. I think she might be more on board than she knows. Yeah. I, like I think it. so, too. I, I mean, she's it. having Star Wars debates at work. She wants to wear a Rebel Force Radio t-shirt. But uh, we've had a lot of orders since the, sh- the store opened. Uh, thanks to everybody who ordered. I know that, uh, for the most part, um, the stuff is uh, already starting to show up. So that's really exciting. The store just launched last weekend. Uh, big thanks to Tyler, the intern, for helping us get that off the ground. Uh, it's something you guys have been asking about for a long time, and we're very happy to have it there. And, uh, of course, we have to acknowledge our pal Paul, Paul Bateman, who came up with that wonderful Rebel Force Radio logo for us all those years ago. You can also uh, listen to Rebel Force Radio at WGNplus.com. Uh, we're on Stitcher and just about everywhere else you can find podcasts. We are an official friend of Wikipedia. Make sure you visit them for the ultimate online Star Wars encyclopedia at wikipedia.com. That's two O's and two E's. You can also find us at uh, jedinews.co.uk, yodasnews.com, sandtroopers.com, and the official Star Wars website, starwars.com. We're also available just about each and every Saturday night, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. That would also be 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Coruscant, apparently. At srsounds.com. <laughs> That's it. That'll do it for us. We'll see you next time. For Rebel Force Radio, I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy Man. And remember, the Force will be with you always. Always.